Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. Coming in too fast! The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. thousand worlds. time ago in a galaxy far far away two podcasters present to you the essential films podcast welcome back to the essential Films podcast a podcast devoted to the discussion of the greatest movies ever made or the essential films i'm joined by my co-host mr mark espinoza how are you doing today sir i'm pretty good adolfo may the force be with you may the force be with you as well now before we get into too far into things it's funny because um i grew up catholic um, and, you know, whenever we went to church services, there's the part where it says, may peace be with you, and you respond, and <laughs> may peace be with you. <laughs> but there's there's also the you. many parts that says, the Lord be with you as well. Yeah. So I think so, Star Wars too when I hear that. And, and every time uh, I would hear that, I, 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 it's it goes either way, right? So whenever I was in church, I would say, I would think to myself, uh, may the force be with you. And then when I hear it, uh, when I hear Star Wars, I always kind of want to go... And may the force be with you as well. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, we are discussing Star Wars today on today's episode, the original 1977 classic. Um, but before we get into that, we usually kind of have like to have a little bit of a warm up discussion, just to couple, you know break the ice a little bit. How have you been? What what, what kind of movies have you been watching recently? 
Let's see. Well, as of this recording, yesterday I stopped by once again to my favorite spot, the Alamo Draft House. Hopefully, my the listeners aren't uh, getting too tired of me talking about that place, but that place is awesome. But I went to see Dunkirk there in seventy millimeter. Oh, yeah. How, yes. How was it? Uh, it was great. I actually really, really enjoyed it. It was a little bit. Once I figured out what Nolan was doing, I was able to get into it, but at the first, like, maybe five, ten minutes, I was kind of, like, struggling a little confused, like, okay, what's he going for here? Like, what's he trying to do? And then when I realized the, the storytelling narrative he's going for, like, oh, okay, and then I was able to enjoy it more, but, I mean, it's a little bit, it was a little bit of a chore to get into, maybe the first five minutes, because I didn't know what was going on, but then after that, it was great, great, great. I absolutely loved it. The, the, the the best parts about it, I think, the, I guess the, the parts that were filmed the best, in my opinion, were the, uh, the 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 air scenes with the dog fighting that was great like even like the people I was with were, were like floored it you know it was like you know those shots are just so amazing the way he was able to get that we were, we were wondering uh, ourselves like how he was able to get such great shots of like you know the the airplanes and the dog fighting you know but there's some great stuff here from uh and some cameos but you know Harry Styles was great you know he had some uh some great performances as well throughout the whole film and uh, it's definitely one of his better ones so definitely check it out. That's interesting because Christopher Nolan is very against um, CGI unless he absolutely has to do it. Uh, so you, you're talking about the dogfights. I do kind of wonder how he did it. If he, if he, I mean, I'm assuming he had to do CGI, right? Yeah, I had to. But it doesn't look like CGI, which is what makes it better, you know? Ooh, cool. So I, I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. How was it in 70 millimeter? Uh, it was headache-inducing, and that's a compliment, by the way, because I sat so close to the screen that you know, like, it, it, pretty much my whole line of sight was taken over by by the screen. And at the end of it, like, I was fine, but then, like, maybe about an hour into going home, I started getting a little woozy, and I ended up getting a big headache from that. But uh, but I don't regret it for nothing. That's good. Anything, anything else uh, on your on your docket recently? Uh, well, I mean, we, I did see Planet of the Apes. We're going to talk about that soon, I think. Spider-Man, we talked about in a recent Force perspective. Actually, as of this recording, is going to go up this afternoon. That recording we did with Headcase, so we talked about that already. And uh, I saw The Big Sick, which I know you saw recently. Yeah, I, I, saw that, uh, I saw that last night. It was, uh, it was a pretty entertaining film. Um, it was a good date movie. We went, uh, My wife and I went on, a, on one of our rare date nights to see it. So, yeah, I, I would. that's a pretty hearty recommend as well for me, yeah. Oh, definitely. It was, that movie was fun. You know, it was a nice, heartwarming, the perfect date movie. Just a heartwarming story. You know, great performances. You know, definitely worth checking out. Uh, and you know, I'm sure we will, unfortunately, like to have a much more in-depth discussion of both Dunkirk and The Big Sick uh, as uh, in future episodes. It's just you know, uh, wanted to kind of throw that out there. See what see what you've been watching. Um, Interesting that we're recording this weekend, uh, Star Wars this weekend, because this weekend also happens to be the San Diego Comic Con, uh, which for a lot, for in the last 15 years or so has become more than just a comic event, has become a lot of like a really big geek culture, pop culture convention. A lot of major movie trailers debut. We had some pretty interesting ones. Did you catch any of these uh, that, that came out this weekend? Uh, the only one I was able to watch really was the uh, Walking Dead trailer did at Comic Con. Everything else I've been kind of skimming over, but uh, uh, I haven't really been able to look at it. But I am seeing a lot of buzz for this uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, the film. Ready Player One is interesting. So it's it's based on a book. Um, it's a sci-fi book, and apparently in the and I the the trailer intrigued me enough to buy the book on my Kindle. So I'm going to be reading that on the way to work uh, the next next week or so. Um, 
and it's apparently a book that takes place in the future, and there's a lot of like 1980s movie references. So, and if you watch the trailer, there you can kind of catch a lot of them in there. Uh, you know, he, he it, it, apparently it takes place where the, these people go into like a, a virtual world, and and you know all these different pop culture characters pop up in the trailer. I spotted uh, the Iron Giant. I spotted Harley Quinn. I spotted. Um, I spotted the Mad Max car. There's a big race sequence. I spotted the Mad Max car in there. I spotted the A-Team van in there. I spotted the... Oh, the DeLorean is all over that trailer. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of what else I saw in there. Uh, Freddy Krueger is in there. Uh, uh, Duke Nukem. So it has a whole bunch of, like, uh, 80s nostalgia thrown into that. I'm, I'm really... It really piqued my interest. So now, as a child of the 80s, and that being kind of, you know, uh, the era I grew up in, and I have a lot of nostalgia for it, uh, it really piqued my piqued my interest. So now I'm going to read the book, and hopefully uh, the movie matches up. But the trailer's really cool. You should check it out. Oh, definitely. I'm definitely going to check it out. There's a few trailers I have to catch up with. And I see that the uh, they're starting to uh, upload the, uh, the Infinity War trailers, but... They're getting taken down. Yeah, actually, like, Disney super is quick. working furiously to take those down. I have to guess that like they're going to release it officially within the next week or so, if not earlier, um, just because it just makes sense to. They were debuted at a Comic Con. They're going to want to just. I mean, you may as well just to do it, right? It's uh, it makes no sense not to release it uh, to the general public at this point. But uh, they also debuted a Justice League trailer. It doesn't look too bad. It looks okay. Uh, it still has that a lot of the earmarks of the. The DC movies that we've seen so far that I'm not a big fan of, like the kind of the lack of color, uh, and the kind of the there's a little bit more of a fun nature to it than than I got out of the you know Man of Steel and Batman and Superman, but it looked okay. Uh, the Thor Ragnarok trailer, the new one, is really good. Oh, uh, you I should check seen that, that out. The, the, whoever's editing the trailers for Marvel is doing a great job because that movie looks like a ton of fun. It looks way better than the first two Thor movies, and I know those movies get a lot of crap. Uh, I like the first Thor movie. The second one is not that great, but I like the first Thor movie. Uh, and the but this movie looks. It almost looks like they just completely are ignoring the other two films and just making a movie. Uh, as fun as possible you know and it, it looks like it looks a little more like guardians than it does thor oh really, really? Yeah, so that's tone, that's really interesting the tone of the trailer you, you, you should you should check it out um but yeah that's so, so it's interesting we're, we're talking about uh, that san diego comic-con is this weekend and we're going to be talking about star wars mm-hmm. because uh little known fact that back the san diego comic-con has been going on for decades and the original trailer for star wars uh, had de- debuted in in the San Diego Comic Con all the, like in 1976 or something. So it's interesting that it, it's just very coincidental that we're recording this episode today. By the way, uh, kind of related to uh, to Thor, I was on Twitter earlier today and somebody actually photoshopped Jeff Goldblum's face on the whole poster, like on, on Thor, on Hulk, <laughs> on like the villain, like like what happened with Spider Man yeah. earlier this summer, where like they put uh, Tony Stark over all the. All the characters, but uh, somebody did the same thing, but with Jeff Goldblum, it's made it ten times more awesome. Well, I mean, you can make a movie a hundred percent better by adding Jeff Goldblum in it. Oh, of course, Jeff Goldblum is my man. Yeah. Um, before we get into the, the movie, I do kind of want to uh, kind of do two shout outs. Uh, we lost uh, two legends in cinema uh, in the last, uh, let's say, week or two. Uh, the first one uh, is uh, Martin Landau who was a great 
actor from the 50s and 60s. Absolutely. Did, did a lot of good work in the 80s and 90s as well. Uh, won an Oscar for Ed Wood uh, playing Bella Lugosi. It's a great film. Ed Wood, oh, I love Ed Wood, bro. Wacky. Uh, yeah, it's a great wacky movie. Johnny Depp is fantastic in it. One of the last times I think Johnny Depp was really good. I, I mean, because he's been kind of a character of himself for a while. Uh, I, I think it, the ship turned at like Pirates of the Caribbean. After the first Pirates, I think he's been kind of a character of himself. But yeah. um, that I think the Ed Wood is probably his like last great performance. Um but we were talking about Martin Landau. He played Bella Lugosi in that film. Uh, won an Oscar for it, beating out, uh, I believe, Samuel L. Jackson for Best Supporting Actor that year for Pulp Fiction. Uh, but uh, he he also had uh, some roles in Woody Allen movies. He was in Crimes and Misdemeanors. Uh, he was also in uh, North by Northwest, that great Alfred Hitchcock movie. So, you know, just a shout-out, uh, rest in peace to Martin Landau. He's a, I mean, he was an, old, he was an older guy, so it's not too shocking, but... Uh, you know, was, uh, he will be missed. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Uh, my earliest memory of that guy, actually, when he was – this is very weird. Uh, I re- The first time I ever saw him, this was when I was a kid, was when he was in that The Adventures of Pinocchio movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And it was Geppetto. That was the first time I ever saw him on screen. This is like when I was like 12 years old, bro. I, have, <laughs> and then I, I mean, I've seen him in other stuff since, but that was like the first time I've ever seen him. I had no idea that even existed, to be honest with you. It, 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 it's it's bad. It's really bad, but it's uh, but it's wacky. It's one of those like really wacky, bad like kids movies, bro. But uh, and, and John Taylor Thomas is awful in that movie anyway. But uh, um, because I revisited it recently when I found the VHS tape when we were moving. But uh, but yeah, that was the first time I ever saw him. And then I've seen him in other stuff since. But that was my first memory of him. And it was and as a kid, you know, it's a fond memory to be honest with you. So anyway, uh, but yeah, see. Martin Landau will be missed. Uh, the other, the other major legendary name we lost recently, George Romero, uh, the king of the zombie movies, creator of the Living Dead, uh, the Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Uh, you know, he he he's kind of the uh, the master, one of the masters of horror, one of the kind of original. Uh, I, I mean, he I think he's probably the one, the man responsible with bringing the 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 genre of zombie films to the to the general public the mass public even though they don't actually call them zombies in night of the living dead uh they, they're just referred to as those things oh man george romero is a huge huge loss and it's funny because alamo's doing a uh, tribute screening from tomorrow night of uh night of the living dead which i'm tempted to go to well, i'm not sure i'm gonna be able to make it out because i mean i already had night of the living dead but it'll be nice to be there and watch it with a crowd which i've never done before so, uh, I mean, I might, I might consider it, but I mean, look at Romero, like he's just been such an influence on just the horror genre on not just the zombie genre, but on the whole horror genre. And he's left like a lasting legacy in my opinion. Absolutely. I mean, those films, I mean, they're still all very rewatchable. I think they're all still very good films, you know, in, in an era, whenever, like, you know, mentioned it before, the walking dead or walking dead is like the number one cable show in the country. Uh, and sometimes one of the number one shows period cable or broadcast, uh, he, you know, he, he was the one kind of responsible. Now the word zombie had been around before then. And even the, the, the concept of reanimated dead as, as monsters, but, uh, he definitely popularized it and, uh, you know, created an entire genre based on it. So, um, you know, and, and he also has a little bit of a personal connection cause he, uh, shot that movie. Um, sorry, he shot Dawn of the Dead, not Night of the Living Dead, but he shot Dawn of the Dead, uh, in, um, 
Monroeville, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 minutes from where I grew up. So uh, the Monroeville Mall, which is, if you've ever watched Dawn of the Dead, it takes place in a mall. Uh, he shot it yes. at that mall. And uh, so he's got a little bit of um, he's got a little bit of a hometown flavor for me. So, uh, yeah, that that was a little bit of a little bit of a hurt childhood right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, I think Dawn of the Dead is my favorite, to be honest with you. If I had to rate the, the, the trilogy of the dead, I would actually pick Dawn of the Dead as my favorite. It's just so much subtext. I mean, there's subtext in all of his zombie movies, but, like, I think that one had, like, the richest one and the most that I really, like, was able to pick up and really – and just enjoy, like, the commentary he was telling with those movies. Just what a, what a great filmmaker, bro, for real. Yeah, he, he's absolutely fantastic. He inspired so many people. Uh, that I mean, it, it, he like I said, created a genre, inspired so many future horror filmmakers, um, and you know, it, it, he's not going to be one that's easily replaced. You know, it's uh, it's a shame that he's gone. But uh, oh, and actually, one more name uh, that actually I just this act just happened yesterday. Um, John Hurd, uh, everyone's favorite negligent father oh, from Peter Home McAllister. Alone. Yeah, uh, yeah, he just passed away as well. Uh, that was that was a little bit of a heart one too, is because he's uh, he's uh, if you grew up, you know, in the eighties and nineties, uh, and you watched uh, uh, Home Alone every Christmas, he was a part of your childhood. So, uh, I mean, he was a terrible father in that movie. <laughs> uh, he, those... Wasn't he also the the lead heel in Big? He was absolutely. He was. He was uh, Tom Hanks's rival in that in that uh, film for uh, Elizabeth Perkins's affections. Uh, yes, yes, he was uh, in, in that. He was also a corrupt cop on The Sopranos um, for a couple of right. episodes as well. Um, but yeah, he was a good actor. He was a really good actor. Most notably, he's going to be known for his Home Alone, though, as uh, Peter McAllister, the world's worst father. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so rest in peace, John Hurt, as well. Absolutely. R.I.P. to Mr. McAllister. <laughs> All right, so we, we lost a couple legends there. We wanted to just get that out of the way. This is the essential films. We wanted to kind of pay homage to the those we did lose, in, you know, in the past. But uh, let's move on to uh, to our main event here, to to Star Wars, uh, otherwise known, retroactively titled Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yep, this is the uh, the one that started it all for everybody. So this one film created this gigantic, enormous franchise that Disney paid billion dollars for. So, just amazing. Yeah, and it uh, it recently celebrated its 40th anniversary back in May. Um, so, it, it's kind of timely that we're doing this episode. Uh, Star Wars was directed by George Lucas and written by George Lucas, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, Alec Guinness, David Prowse, James Earl Jones, Kenny Baker, and Anthony Daniels, with music memorably by uh, John Williams, released in May 25th, 1977. Uh, Star Wars, you know, to get into it, it was kind of born out of the idea that basically George Lucas wanted to do Flash Gordon, but couldn't do Flash Gordon, so he kind of did his own thing with Star Wars. Yes, yes. So George Lucas had this idea to create this essentially a space opera, that uh, was inspired by the Flash Jordan serials of the 50s. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, you know, they kind of it, – it's it's weird because, like, he had this big idea for the – it went through so many names. Like, it was, like, the Star Wars, and then it was, you know, Journal of the Wills, Chapter 1, the Star Wars, the Adventures of Luke Starkiller, or whatever the, whatever he – it went, like, like, 10 different names before it became just the Star Wars and then just took the the out and made it Star Wars. But what I find interesting is that a lot of people say to me, like, you know, 
the prequels show that George Lucas is a horrible writer. So why is A New Hope so good? And I think that A New Hope is one of those like lucky flukes in Hollywood, you know, because it's one of those things where he didn't get to do exactly what he wanted to do from the beginning. Like he was restricted not just by like the studios, but like by the budget, you know, and even the actors, like even Harrison Ford, like there's stories about Harrison Ford coming up to him saying, you know, you, I mean, George, you can write this, but you can't say it. So I think what happened with The New Hope was that it was such a collaborative effort, not just on the, uh, you know, with the actors, but like Lucasfilm kind of had to like take the, uh, the, 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 the budget and kind of had to work within that budget because he was untested. He was unproven. So, of course, the studio wasn't going to give him, you know, X amount of dollars. You're going to give him, you know, what they felt he should have. And he took that budget and just made everything work with it because, you know, he was restrained to an extent. So we had to do it within those confines. And what happened to that was he created this this masterpiece. And I'm talking about the original version, the original 1977 version of Star Wars. He created this this masterpiece in filmmaking that just started, you know, uh, a franchise. Right. And, you know, you, you say that he was untested and proven. I mean, he did have some he did have some films before this. Uh, he did THX 1138 earlier in the decade, which was a very big sci fi like uh, dystopian future. But that was considered a big failure as far as finan- financially, uh, even though it had, you know, a, a somewhat of a big star in uh uh, Robert Duvall, uh, the film itself was a, a huge flop, uh, lost a lot of money. But he also did have American Graffiti, which was a big hit. Uh, it start, jump-started a lot of careers, not just Harrison Ford, but Ron Howard was in that film. Uh, so it, it was a it was a big movie, but this is the first time he'd ever done something on such a massive scale. And you're right, he he wasn't um, he he was not tested in that environment. Really, I mean, even though he did a, a sci-fi movie, if you ever watched TH Text Eleven Thirty Eight, it's very, it's very simple. It's very right. Uh, I mean, it's not it, it's not the massive production quality that that Star Wars was. So, and, and American Graffiti is more like a period piece, you know, uh, on set locations in the nineteen fifties. Uh, but you know, this is something completely different. Uh, and it's funny because you know he had um, he had a budget. He had probably a bigger budget than he had in other films, but it was still more, it's still controlled by the studio. So he he, he had still had um, uh, constraints on him. And actually, the process of making this film is what turned Lucas basically into like the the world's biggest independent producer. Because a lot of people don't think realize that even though that he, he's this huge you know uh, billionaire. He actually was an independent filmmaker because he he basically only went to studios to distribute. After this one, he only went to Fox to distribute the Star Wars movies, but he completely financed them after that. Right, and uh, I think the, the main reason he could do that, not just the success of A New Hope or just start, let's just call it Star Wars, you know, for argument's sake here, because it is just about the original Star Wars, but it was about kind of his kind, his, not so much foreshadowing, but like his forward thinking. And uh, how huge something like merchandising and licensing was. Like, this guy was ahead of his time. You know, he was like the pioneer when it came to merchandising, you know, and and licensing uh, his, his, his properties. He licensed Star Wars and, and basically made it, you know, 100% of the profits of the toys. And anything with the name Star Wars on it went to George Lucas. He didn't have to go through a middleman or, like, the studios. It, it all went to George Lucas. And that's the example of, like, the forward thinking that kind of made him a pioneer uh, during this time. Yeah, exactly, and you know, like you said, he he got a hundred percent of the the 
the merchandise money from the merchandise and the toys but he also maintained the rights to the film itself which is why he you know it, 20th century fox released it but they didn't own it lucasfilm owns it right so he he it, it, well lucasfilm still owns it but lucasfilm is now owned by disney um but he he never uh and it's only just now in the last five years or whatever that uh, Star Wars truly became a corporate entity when it was bought by Disney. Up until then, yes, it was um, it was a major Lucas was a major, you know, I don't know if Lucas ever Lucasfilm was ever a corporation, but it was a major company and it had billions of dollars. Uh, but it wasn't really like a quote unquote corporation with a capital C until Disney bought it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's when uh I think what was the price like two point one billion or a one point two billion I don't remember what is that no was it four was it four billion yeah, I thought it was I closer what... to four billion actually I think it was four billion right yeah yeah that's that's whenever Disney was on its spending spree that bought Star Wars and then shortly thereafter I think they bought Marvel or vice versa actually I think they I bought think Marvel, Marvel got first. bought first yeah, yeah. You're right Marvel got bought first and then they bought Star Wars right after like a year later uh so they were on a spending spree uh, and I think with Lucasfilm they also got did they get Indiana Jones as well. I think so. I Did think they? that was part of the deal. Okay. But what's interesting is that they don't have what's what's weird is that they have the the they have the rights to all the films except episode 4. Uh right. but they have the rights to the characters and all the stories and everything like that. But for whatever reason, I think 20th Century Fox still has distribution rights for episode 4, which I think is why it's taking like uh, you know, people thought that as soon as uh, Disney bought them, they'd release the, uh, you know, another trilogy with, uh, uh, with you know, the special, no special editions or, you know, the original theatrical cuts. But apparently it's a lot harder than that because <laughs> because 20th Century Fox still has a still has a claim to the first one. Right. And I mean, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's maybe like a maybe it's 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 a indeterminate amount of time deal or a 20 year. deal. I read different things about it. But yeah, 20th Century Fox still owns the rights to A New Hope. And the thing about that, too, is that, you know, like, like you were saying, kind of, to piggyback off what you were saying, everybody's waiting for the unaltered trilogy to come out. And Disney's saying, you know, I'm, we're hearing things, they're going to do it, they're not going to do it, then yes, they are going to do it. But, you know, what's going to happen when they release it? And, like, the thing about the, 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 the Star Wars franchise is that up to The Force Awakens, we've been, like, just part of the just the opening of Star Wars has been seen that 20th Century Fox logo and that fanfare. You know, so it was a little weird to see it with The Force Awakens where it didn't have that. And I'm wondering if Disney one day re-releases these Blu-rays, you know, are they going to take that out? Is it going to be like a co-release with 20th Century Fox? Because, I mean, that's part of the, uh, I think that's part of the whole, like, the, the intro of Star Wars has seen that 20th Century logo. And to not see it there anymore is going to be, it's not going to be the same. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they will keep it just because to to, to maintain the integrity of the of the original. Uh, it would just look strange if it wasn't there. I mean, it still felt strange, like you said, when you went to see Force Awakens. And even though you know Disney bought it, you saw uh, it just seemed strange to just go right into a long time ago in a galaxy far away without the 20th Century Fox fanfare at the beginning. Right, it's right. still strange to see it. Uh, and uh, it, it's yeah, it, it's such a such. You know I, all the soundtracks because I bought all the you know the soundtrack to um, A New Hope and Empire and Return of the Jedi, and it always the, the soundtrack always starts with that fanfare. So it's so weird to not have that in the beginning of Force Awakens anymore. Right, exactly. So 
you know, there's a lot of different directions we could take this in. We're kind of, uh, I, I recently watched Star Wars uh, in preparation for this, but uh, like we were discussing before we went on the air that we don't really have many quote-unquote notes because we've both seen this movie so many times in our childhood uh, and in our adulthood. And so we could probably talk about it without even preparing for the show. But, you know, uh, uh, we did, or at least I did for my part anyway. But uh, <laughs> but uh, tell me, when did you first experience uh, the original Star Wars? Okay, well, um, I what happened with this was, and I'm... I think I told the story when we did the Force Perspective Star Wars episodes, but the uh, the very first time that I saw, let's just let's just for this story's sake, I'll just say A New Hope. The first time that I saw A New Hope was in 1997 when the first special edition came out. Now before then, uh, and this is gonna this is gonna take you back, like it's gonna feel a little trippy, bro. But the first time I remember seeing anything related to Star Wars, just. I didn't know it was Star Wars. I didn't know what I was actually watching. But do you remember back when Muppet Babies used to use the Star yes. Wars scene yes, yes, for like yes. their, their episodes? That's what I remember. Like from my childhood, that's what I remember about Star Wars is seeing like the clips on the Muppet Babies, right? Because that's what I, when I was like four or five years old, that's what I grew up on watching the Muppet Babies repeats on Channel Five. And I and I think the the Tie Fighters in the intro, right? If I'm not mistaken, the Tie Fighters are in the intro. Yes, right? That's what I'm saying. So the first and, – and at the time, I didn't know it was Star Wars. I just knew it was like a, a spaceship and it looked really cool, right? And that's five-year-old me watching Muppet Babies. And then when uh, – I forgot what movie it was. Like in 96, maybe it was early – might have been like maybe late 96 when they first had the trailers, when they first shot the trailers for the special editions. And I remember watching – I was at a movie. My mom had to take me to a movie. I don't remember which one, but I saw the trailer for that in a theater for like the special editions. And I was thinking to myself, that's the stuff from Muppet Babies. I want to see what that's all about. And it's called Star Wars. So when 97 came, I think the first one came out in January 97 was uh, the original Star Wars special edition uh, in theaters. So I practically had to beg my mother, you know, please, can you take me to Star Wars? She took me to Star Wars. And I remember watching that for the very first time in theaters with an audience at I think I was 10 years old no I was nine years old going on 10 years old and I was just immediately just blown away by everything I left the theater I remember and just with my eyes wide open and just, like like I just had this sort of like life-changing moment for an entire generation people have experienced Star Wars the only way it's been possible on the TV screen but if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. Now, for its 20th anniversary, the adventure of a lifetime returns to the big screen in a way you've never seen before. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. With newly enhanced visual effects. They're coming in too fast! THX and digital sound. And a few new surprises. On President's Day weekend, 1997, George Lucas and 20th Century Fox invite you to welcome back Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2. <laughs> Finally, 
the motion picture event the way it was meant to be experienced. This will be a day long remembered. As the entire Star Wars trilogy returns on February 14th, Star Wars, followed soon after by The Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi. Move closer! For a whole new generation who have yet to experience it on the big screen. And for everyone else to experience it again. That boy is our last hope. No, there is another. The Star Wars Trilogy, Special Edition. See it again for the first time. The Force will be with you, always. And immediately, like there's a KB Toys in that little mini mall where the theater was. So we went to the KB Toys and I actually I had to beg my mother again, please buy me the Luke Skywalker figure they had. So they bought me the Luke figure from Empire, which I didn't know was from Empire. It was just a Luke figure to me. So I got the Luke Skywalker figure and I got the Han Solo figure that came with him in Carbonite, which I didn't understand what that was yet. because I hadn't seen Empire Strikes Back. So it came with it was Han Solo in Carbonite. So you got the figure and then you got the little plastic Carbonite thing that had like the imprint of them on it which is really cool. And I didn't know what that was. I just thought it looked really cool. So I ended up going home with both Luke and uh, Han that same day after uh, after A New Hope. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Pizza Hut was doing a promotion for, like, the, the, the special editions where they were, they were doing, like, some sort of deal. And, like, you can take them, like, boxes with C-3PO on them and Luke and Darth Vader. So I think we remember, I remember eating at Pizza Hut right after just because they were doing Star Wars there. And they were doing, like, a promotion for them. They were promoting the movie. I remember eating pizza there right after the uh, right after seeing a new hope for the first time. Like I remember it being like one of like one of those perfect days you have as a kid. Like everything you just got everything you wanted. You know, I got to see Star Wars, I got to get the action figures, I got to eat at pizza, which had Star Wars stuff all over the place. You know, so it was one of those like perfect days that you have when you're a kid. And that's my fond memory of seeing uh, seeing this particular film for the first time. As far as the original unaltered film, I after I seen the the, the, the trilogy for the first time, I actually my cousin owned the the originals on VHS. So you remember those releases? I think it was like the last one before uh before the special editions. It was like the three box set of like the the three films. My cousin actually owned that. So I actually borrowed those from him when I needed my Star Wars fix. And that's how I saw the unaltered original Star Wars for the first time. But I the the first time I ever saw anything to do with Star Wars was the special edition in ninety seven of of A New Hope. Uh, I remember that day very well, the the special editions. But I saw it much younger than as I got like uh, uh, seven or eight years on you, so I saw them much earlier than you did. Um, I, I do the first memory I have of Star Wars, I think, is I have this very vague, vague memory of seeing Return of the Jedi in theaters. Now. I was born in 1980. Return of the Jedi came out in May 1983. I would have been almost three years old. I don't think I have memories of being three years old at this point. But what I think I'm remembering is back then, back in the 80s, before VHS really took off. I mean, VHS existed, but it wasn't as you know dominant as it would be like five, ten years later. Um, it, they, they they would re-release popular movies. So uh, Star Wars would get re-released, you know, a year later. Jaws would get re-released a year later. So I think what I what I'm remembering is seeing a re-release of Return of the Jedi because I very distinctly remember the scene of uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 walking down the desert to Jabba's palace. I remember seeing that in a theater. I had this very 
very strong recollection of that. But I can't, I can't possibly imagine that that would have been when I was three years old. I think that was probably more when I was four or five. So that's my first memory of Star Wars. And for the longest time, I think that was the only movie I'd seen was Return of the Jedi. Uh, and then uh, as uh, as time went on and I moved to the States, because um, I was born in the Dominican Republic, when I moved to the States in 1985, uh, I remember my local TV station had the rights to play the movie, and they would play the movie at least, or I, I, maybe they played it more than this, but they would play it once a year. They'd play the whole trilogy once a year. At Christmas time. So, I think Christmas Day they would play it. Uh, one of my okay. local TV stations. Uh, if someone, if someone who, who grew up with me can remember, they can let me know. But uh, they would play it. So, I remember watching the, I remember watching the trilogy, uh, or at the very least, Star Wars and Empire. I'm not sure if they did Return of the Jedi, but at least Star Wars and Empire, they would play. Um, and then later on, so that's how I would watch it for like the longest time. I would watch it on, on this TV, like once a year on Christmas time. And then... Uh, right around ninety three or ninety four, they did release that VHS that you're t- VHS set that you're talking about. That's when they released it, that THX special edition. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's the one. Yeah, with like the the uh, the black box art and stuff like that. I I got that for my birthday, and I watched the hell out of those tapes. I watched them over and over and over again. And I was in high school when the special edition uh, came out in theaters. I remember that day very well. Uh, I went opening night, <laughs> uh, mm. and uh, I had just um, this was nineteen January nineteen ninety seven. I was in a very. I had just gotten my first girlfriend. We were uh, about a month into the relationship, and I I basically dragged her to go see Star Wars. She had no interest in seeing Star Wars, and I went with like two other two other like you know friends from school. And I, I remember just sitting there watching like a movie like a. Uh, I had never seen the movie in, in, in such a big screen before, and I was just mesmerized the whole time. I remember, like, and it was a packed theater. Like, it was as if it was, you know, a Marvel movie coming out now where, like, everyone was packed into it. And it's just funny because at that point, it was the 20-year anniversary, I believe. Uh, it was yeah. the 20-year anniversary of Star Wars, so uh, it was a 20-year-old movie, and everyone was still packed in here to watch it. Uh, and uh, it was such a fond memory because, you know, I just remember sitting there in the theater with all these high school kids uh, watching this movie that I'd seen a hundred times, but um yeah, it was that 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 uh and actually I remember going after the after the movie was over, we went to Taco Bell because Taco Bell had like because I think Taco Bell and Pizza, you mentioned Pizza, are owned by the same company because they yes, had and KFC also. Yeah, because they had a uh uh Star Wars tie-ins too, like with their uh with their like collectors like soda cups and uh yes. I remember they had a they had a prize uh, to a, 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 a contest to win a Star Wars themed Hummer, and I was I'd always think about that every now and then. I wonder who won that Hummer, and do they still drive around with like Darth Vader <laughs> on their Hummer? <laughs> I would. I, I, I have no shame in saying I would if I own that. Uh, but yeah, that's my uh, that's my Star Wars, and actually that was shortly after I'd gotten my license for the first time. So I remember, and, I, and this is again, 97. So before cell phones were generally in use by kids. So I remember going to the movie, going to Taco Bell, spending time with like my new girlfriend and a couple other friends, and then coming home like nine or 10 o'clock. And my mom was not happy with me because she could not get a hold of me. And she didn't know where I was. <laughs> uh, oh, I can imagine. <laughs> so yep. uh, it was kind of, it was a good memory, but I remember it had a, at a, uh, uh, not so happy ending when I got yelled at when I got home. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's my uh, that's kind of my star. How I grew up with Star Wars. 
Yeah, I remember those tie-ins too. Like, I think for the special editions, it wasn't that heavy. But when Phantom Menace came out, like they were doing the whole, like all three places: KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza. They they had their own unique toys that you could only get at over there. But it was all Phantom Menace tie. I remember those because I tried to go to each one and collect all of them. And I mean, obviously, I didn't make it, but like you know, I actually did attempt to go to all of them. And at, at the, I'm sure my mom at that point was getting sick of Taco Bell, sick of Pizza Hut because I kept making her. I kept dragging her to all those places just to get the toys, and uh, I yeah I remember I think for um for, for for all those for the special editions and for Phantom Menace like they had like they had just the the deep deep product tie-ins. Speaking and this is nothing to do with Star Wars, but it just you know it just kind of j- jarred my memory. Do you know what product tie-ins, special product tie-ins that I we still have in my house to this day that we for whatever reason we didn't try to collect them. It just kind of happened that we collected them all. Do you remember when Batman Forever came the, out? The Batman Forever glasses. The Batman Forever glasses. Yes. I, I, that was one of my first guests, bro. I knew it. <laughs> they were, and we have all four of them. We have the Robin, the Batman, the Riddler, and the Two-Face. And they're still so at I. my house. They're still at my house. They were good glasses, too. I, I have them, too. I don't use them anymore, but uh, but when we moved, we did uncover those. I uncovered that. I uncovered my Ninja Turtles bowls one from the Ninja Turtles cereal of the early 90s. They had the bowls that came inside the cereal. I found those too while I was moving, bro. It was it was so trippy. I found that. I found the glasses. I found a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, I found my Power Rangers toys from like '96 from McDonald's while I was cleaning up. So like, uh, I, I found I, I collected so much crap over the years. Like I tell you, yeah. That, that I think the Batman Forever was the only thing that i collected in full and it was totally i wasn't even trying to do it it was just like just by accident yeah just like over that summer we went to mcdonald's enough that we kept just getting the new the new glass i don't know yeah um yeah and that was that was kind of a hugely hyped product tie-in movie too i remember bratman forever right that was was really like i you were you know you're mentioning phantom menace phantom menace i think is probably like the biggest one i think i've ever seen as far as like just pure like tie in with everything you saw that movie everywhere but batman forever i think was pretty big too from what i remember yeah if you remember too actually when we did the uh, force respective star wars prequel episode the commercial breaks had all these product tie-ins for phantom menace it was like taco bell like we said pizza hut uh kfc uh pepsi was doing something like everything everybody was doing something for phantom menace that that was that was huge when it came out second only i think to the force awakens hype from a couple years ago yeah, Force Awakens is pretty big too, but maybe I just didn't. I did see Force Awakens stuff a lot, but maybe I just didn't pay as much attention as because I remember Phantom Menace being in my face like every yeah, day and your face. I, I, that's exactly how I describe it too. Um, so back to the original film. Uh, as you said, it, it, when it was for, when George Lucas was first kind of writing this, he had all these different names for it. Uh, I think you mentioned Journal of the Wills, the Adventures of Luke Starkiller, all these things. Uh, he had he had this whole kind of saga in, in, in mind. Um, but he eventually settled on the, the story that would eventually be called A New Hope. And, you know, after the film had come out, whenever it was obviously successful, because when it was first released, it was just called Star Wars. And in the opening crawl, it didn't say episode four. It just started with, you know, uh, I forget the first words of the opening crawl, but it just started with that. It didn't start with. with it is a four. time of civil war. It is a time mistaken. of civil war. Exactly. So it just started with that. Uh, and then later, 
I think upon, for the first VHS releases and whenever they put episode four, five, and six in there. Now, I'm not sure if they did it for the original Empire, original Return of the Jedi, whenever they were released theatrically or not. I think they did because did they? I think the first time uh, episode four was placed on the opening crawl was in uh, 1980. I think it was right before Empire came out because that's when they decided they wanted to number the episodes. So. When it was re-released, I think in 79 or 80, I think, or whatever the last one was before Empire, they actually put episode four on the top. Right. So, and then, so that is whenever they started with the whole, um, naming them after. So, even, so I still call A New Hope Star Wars. Like, to me, Star Wars is just the 1977 film. It's just Star Wars, yeah. And and I don't, I know that the, they, the official naming of it is Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope, Star Wars Episode Five, The Empire Strikes Back, so on and so forth. I prefer to just call them Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. The only ones that, to me, that have the whole Star Wars naming convention in front of them are the prequels and Force Perspective, Force Awakens. Awakens. Uh, Those are the only ones that had that Star Wars, because to me, the original release of those movies was Empire and Return of the Jedi, not Star Wars Episode V of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, But... So and now this whole naming convention comes down because, uh, like you know, we alluded to earlier, uh, not Spielberg. Lucas was a big fan of the uh, like Flash Gordon chapter movies uh, from the serials from the nineteen forties. I mean that that inspired Star Wars, inspired Indiana Jones later, um, and that that format. If you've ever seen those those those, uh, if you've ever seen those films. Uh, they they kind of have this kind of like fifteen every it's a fifteen minute movie basically, uh, and at the end and they're each a little episode. It starts you know and it ends with a cliffhanger that gets resolved at the beginning of the next film, uh, and it all tells like one big story. And if you stitch them all together, it's like five hours or something. And that's kind of the, where the episode theme kind of came from. Yeah, exactly. It, just, it was direct uh, direct homage to the Flash Gordon serials, the whole opening crawl idea. Now, have you ever watched any serials? I, I'm, I've never seen Flash Gordon, but have you ever watched any serials ever? The only one that I watched, and it was because I was able to find it on YouTube. I'm not, I don't know if it's still there, but when we were doing the uh, the Batman shows or Force Perspective, I actually saw the Batman serials that were uh, from, like, I think the 30s or the 40s. I don't remember what, what decade it was. From the 40s, right? So I think they, a couple made it onto, uh, onto YouTube, so I actually found some of those and watched them. But as far as – those are the only serials I've ever watched, to be honest. They're kind of a painful exercise. I gotta be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're like five hours long. I've seen both Batman ones. I saw the original Batman one, and then the one, the second one is called Batman and Robin. And then I've seen the Captain America one, which is probably better than the other Batman and Robin. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss. up It's a toss up. Uh, Batman and Robin, the Schumacher movie. Uh, as bad as it is, it's still kind of fun to watch how bad it is, you know. Um, but uh, then I the um. The other one I watched was the Captain America serial, and it's just after a while, it's just like, oh man, this is this is tedious. It's a tedious <laughs> thing to sit through for like because they're not meant to be watched all at once, right? They're yeah. meant to be watched. You know, people would watch them, you know, fifteen minutes. They'd play before like another movie uh, for fifteen minutes, basically a short film, and then you'd watch the next part the next, you know, a week later, right? So it would take you right. like fifteen weeks to get through this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I could uh, if I, I can't sit through those. I, I watched them because I wanted to say I watched them, right? But I don't know if I could sit through that again. <laughs> I, I think I echo your sentiments on that as far as the Batman one. <laughs> but um, 
you know, he, he not only wanted to kind of capture like the the episode titling and the you know the episodic nature of the films. It wasn't just a that's not the only thing he kind of gained from it, but it was also just the kind of space opera um, adventure, like incredible situations, fantastic worlds kind of concept that those serials invoked. You know, he wanted to kind of place into a big budget, large screen format. Right, right, and it, it's so funny too because um, we were talking about before the uh, all the titles that this movie went through before they kind of just settled on Star Wars. Like, uh, actually, I was able to look them up right now. Like, one of them was "The Adventures of the Star Killer" episode one, "The Star Wars," which I believe was the on the early draft from 1975, and then from 1976 is "The Adventures of Luke Scar- Star Killer" as taken from the Journal of the Will Saga one, "Star Wars," and then uh, finally, I think the revised this year, the revised fourth draft of the script dated from seven, 1975 actually acquired the subtitle "Episode Four: A New Hope" from the Journal of the Wills. And that's where the designation of this as episode four came from, which is kind of funny. Right. And then those ideas didn't really get tossed in the garbage. They kind of recycled them. For example, uh, Journal of the Wills, the the Wills was referenced in uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Uh, And Starkiller was referenced in uh, Force Awakens. It was the name of the... Death Star. I mean the Starkiller yes. base. Uh, that, <laughs> uh, that, I see what you did that there. J.J. Abrams used in that film. So, like the, those ideas, get, they they got called back at some point. Well, before before it became non-canon, the uh, the Force Unleashed video game actually the main character was named Starkiller. So, but now that's non-canon now after the Disney purchase. But it was a cool story. That was a good game, actually. I like. It story. was right. Yeah, the first one was really good. The second one was a little too tedious because it was too easy. Like it was, it was, it was short too. But the first Force Unleashed game was really good. Um, so yeah, so that's what, so he he kind of wanted to do this. He got his funding, uh, and, and like it, like we said, it was kind of a a, a very troubled production. Uh, you know, he did get you know he did manage to to cast uh, Alec Guinness, a very famous actor, Alec Guinness, who we talked about last uh, last time uh, for Bridge in the River Kwai as uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, but and he got some uh, old Hammer Horror. Uh, uh, actor and <laughs> Peter, Peter Cushing, Cushing bro, you know? <laughs> and you know both. You know it's great because Peter Cushing, who played Van Helsing in all those Hammer horror movies, uh, was cast in this film. But and then you know twenty or thirty years later, whenever uh, they did the the prequels, Christopher Lee, who played Dracula in those films, uh, got to got to be part of the franchise as well as Count Dooku. So I, I always liked that book ending. That's one of the things I did. I, I'm not a fan of the prequels, and we could probably we'll probably spend a little time on them today uh, today as well. But I'm not a big fan of the prequels. But one of the things I did appreciate was was Christopher Lee in that film. Absolutely. Um, and it, it is very nice to see uh, to see Peter Cushing making an acting comeback in 2016 after being dead for so long. Yeah, yeah, they brought him back <laughs> in uh, what some what some people think a little creepy uh, manner in uh, Rogue One. Uh, I think it was actually pretty cool how how they used him. Um, and I think that technology is going to be a lot more in use. I mean, we saw in Guardians 2, we saw the young Kurt Russell in that one. Um, we saw in Civil War last year the young Robert Downey Jr. We saw in Ant-Man the young Michael Douglas. We're going to keep seeing this. Like, I guarantee we're going to, as time goes on, they keep perfecting this. They're not going to, like, cast, like, young actors to play younger versions of older actors anymore. They're just going to just gonna use this technology. He's gonna use the actual actor who's been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> because we'll it always Bella Lugosi in a movie in like twenty twenty one, bro. Exactly. Hey, I, hey, I don't. 
I wouldn't discount it, man. I could see that. Totally <laughs> ha- I could totally see that happening. Uh, but I mean, like, it always bugged me, like, because there's there's one part of me that's like that's kind of creepy, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about like Godfather Two is like as awesome as Robert De Niro is in that film. It's like I know what Robert De Niro looks like when he's older, and he doesn't look like Marlon Brando. No. Like, he looks like old Robert De Niro. So right. it does like it doesn't to me. It just doesn't. It doesn't quite. I get why they obviously didn't have the the the, the capability to do that in 1974. But it's always one of those things that I was like, you know, as I grew older and I watched that film, I was like, it does. I get it. I it's fine, but. In the back of your mind goes, I know what Robert De Niro looks like, you know, 30 years from now. Like, he doesn't look like Martin LeBron. <laughs> he doesn't look like Robert. Exactly. <laughs> so I could totally see them continuing to do that from now on, even, like, yeah. in, like, period dramas and stuff like that. Totally oh, yeah, definitely. That. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the film was kind of plagued with production problems from the, from the get-go. Uh, it's kind of a miracle the movie was even released, uh, let alone becoming the biggest movie in history. Yeah, and it's it's just the but the journey to how it got there is just it's it's uh I think the the documentary I think Empire of Dreams focuses mostly on the on the production of of the original Star Wars because I kind of just glances over like Empire and New Hope it gets like little short seconds here and there but you know the the history of of a New Hope is just I mean Lucas almost gave up so many times with with the headaches he was getting but uh but it's really it's a great story anybody who wants to check out that uh, documentary, Empire of Dreams. It's on the, uh, I think it was on the, D- the original DVD trilogy that came out with special editions in 04. Um, I think you could buy it separately, though. I'm not sure, but that's a great documentary. It is a fantastic documentary. I recommend anybody to track that down. And I'm really annoyed it wasn't included in the Star Wars Blu-ray release set. Um, yeah, it really should have been. But really that, I saw my DVD, so. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that documentary really does document a lot of the, a lot of the things that had, one of the, I mean, it, it was. I mean, it, Star Wars, real talk. When you look at it objectively, is kind of a cheesy thing, right? It's a right. cheesy concept with cheesy costumes. It's only because it's so it's executed so well that you get past the kind of cheesiness of it and accept it as this like grand saga, right? Uh, but you can imagine, you know, back in the seventies, sci-fi movies were silly. Sci-fi movies were not taken seriously. Sci-fi movies were things like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like something, like a good example. Like they were like Logan's Run or something, right? They were like cheesy, like production quality, uh, cheesy acting, cheesy, you know, very low budget. Uh, so you can imagine all these people and this like, uh, this entire crew producing this film, they, they, kind of made fun of it behind George Lucas's back because they, they thought this was going to be just some other B-movie like that no one was going to watch. Exactly, exactly. Like, they, I, I, there was a... I think on the documentary, it talked about how like someone like the production crew, like the cameraman and all that, were kind of just behind his back, just kind of saying this is just another silly like space film, you know, nobody's going to take seriously. So it, that kind of affected their morale too because they didn't take their work seriously as a result. And, you know, George Lucas, who's kind of known as a hothead, especially during this time, kind of would have a lot of confrontations with the with the uh, with the crew because they weren't taking their job seriously. Exactly. So whenever, um, you know, they're just I mean, there's so much going on on the set and then in post-production, everything that it really is kind of a miracle got made. Not, again, not just because the crew was it's not that they were not. not uh, it wasn't that they were not. 
what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like they didn't do their jobs. They did do their jobs, but like you said, they didn't treat it very respectfully. Right, uh, exactly. Uh, they didn't treat the source material very respectfully. Uh, and, and Alec Guinness famously uh, kind of thought the material was, was pretty uh, beneath him. Right, and, and and the thing with Lucas too is that I mean, and you can tell this from all the things that he did in the prequels. Like this guy just has to have control over everything. Like he just, if he could, he would make all the movies by himself, which is physically impossible. But because of how he is, just personally, because he has like his background in being an independent filmmaker, he just has to have control over everything. So little things like you know lighting and you know uh, camera placement, like he has, he was like super like in the crew's face you know i think there was a famous story of like one like the the guy who was uh running the lights the, the, the lighting guy he was like using like soft focus lens and he didn't want to use that because lucas was like kind of forcing him to do it he's like you know i think this and remember lucas like i don't want to say he's it was unproven but like he was still a rookie quote unquote to these these uh these uh these union hollywood guys right so you know he the, the guy's trying to tell lucas you know i think you're overdoing it with the lights don't you think and Lucas would just like lose his mind, like this is how I want it. I want this light on, this light off, you know. And it just would create for like really tense moments because Lucas had to have everything the way he wanted it, and the the certain members of the crew just didn't respect that. Right, and you also kind of have to understand. I mean, this is Lucas grew up in like the era of like the the new Hollywood, right? Like he came into that like he was contemporaries with Scorsese and Brian De Palma and Francis Ford Coppola and Peter Bogdanovich. And, and these were and Spielberg. And Spielberg, yeah. <laughs> these were all guys that kind of took command of their sets and, and and they had specific auteur visions of of what they wanted to accomplish, right? So it was kind of like he was kind of following their footsteps a little bit, but he was doing it with this major genre epic you know and i think that was kind of the that i think that was the culture clash that he had right right exactly like i think the famous quote from like one of the one of the crew regarding the lights uh the quote is i won't do that i've lit it the way i think it should be tell me what's the effect that you want and i'll make a judgment about what to do with my lights end quote so you could already tell like there's a lot of like shade being thrown up from both sides you know, it, it's, it's very sad, you know, but, you know, I, I, that's that's the environment that Lucas had to uh, had to make his film in and, you know, more power to him for like, just kind of powering through it. Which is, I mean, interesting because I, I kind of side with Lucas on that because the director should have final say on what what he wants, what the vision should be like the, the cinematographer should have a valuable opinion that should be taken into account. Don't get me wrong, but it's still the director's show. So the director, if the director says, I don't want it that way, then you have to listen to the director. That's exactly. But I mean, there also might, well. but it also might be that he was probably, Lucas was probably just perceived as so inexperienced wet behind the ears that maybe they were trying to, trying to quote unquote, save the movie from him, you know? Yeah, that's true. That, that could be a reason. Uh, but yeah, so there was just so much, you know, going wrong with it. Uh, Things didn't work on the set, you know. Uh, you know, some, Alec Guinness was apparently very cranky to deal with, uh, but uh, ultimately they they got everything shot. Uh, and apparently, whenever they original when they had the original edit, the original rough cut edit, he had a screening for some of his, like I said, some of his uh, contemporary buddies. And apparently, Brian De Palma kind of ripped the film apart. He said. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh my boy De Palma bro I always I'll always have him in high regard for Scarface <laughs> and, and, and you know um it was uh it how 
complete was the film? It, it was like it wasn't much of a rough cut. It was just a few scenes, wasn't it? Or was it like an actual rough? Well, I cut? I thought it was the... a rough cut. I thought it was most of the stuff. It didn't have the special effects. It didn't have the music. It didn't have the sound effects. So I mean, you can imagine all that stuff is very integral to that to that. Exactly. Film. So, so well, without yeah, it would look like crap. I it agree. would look really cheesy, you know. Uh, and I think at night, I'm not sure if it's Empire of Dreams or one of the other kind of various Star Wars documentaries where they show like the unfinished product, right? And and you can see how cheesy it would look without all that production, all those production elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, and what made matters worse is that the uh, the desert that they they filmed on location in Tunisia, which is something that he would go back to, I think, with uh, with Return of the Jedi and with even Phantom Menace. It was after Phantom Menace that he decided to green screen everything, but they were in the desert uh, <laughs> for like eight weeks doing this, building the sets. Filming the filming the scenes and uh, that was I, I can't even imagine what it's like doing that. So I I, I went to look it up because I wanted to get the exact quote. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is out of this is off of Wikipedia uh, for the film's opening crawl. Lucas originally wrote a composition consisting of six paragraphs with four sentences each. He said the crawl is such a hard thing because you have to be careful that you're not using too many words that people don't understand. It's like a poem. Lucas showed his... <laughs> it's like a poem because like they rhyme. <laughs> uh, Lucas showed his, his draft to friends. Director Brian De Palma, who was there, described it. The crawl at the beginning looks like it was written on a driveway. It goes on forever. It's gibberish. Uh, <laughs> Lucas recounted what De Palma said the first time he saw it. George, you're out of your mind. Let me sit down and write this for you. Oh man, that's <laughs> I, I I feel I feel pretty lousy after after that, but uh, you know it's but but once once everything was in place, once the 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 cut that he wanted was complete, you know, everything would change. But like with this rough cut, I can imagine without the the integral parts of it, like you mentioned, yeah, I can see why it's, it, 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 uh, his contemporaries thought it looked like crap. So it, it's funny because even though his contemporaries like De Palma and I think John Milius was there as well, they they thought the movie sucked. Um, the the he did get some support. Spielberg was in was in the screening and he liked it, and so was uh, I think Alan Ladd Jr., who was an executive at Fox, um, was also there and he was very impressed with the film. And I think because of that. Uh, they got extra budget to do more post production on it. Right, right. I think that's what happened too. And uh, you know, but but you know, he did take a lot of their uh, their advice. Like some of the stuff that they recommended, he changed. You know, he uh, did a, a, some uh, second unit adjustments as a result of like some of the stuff that you know he thought about, and that some of the stuff that you know the like Spielberg and De Palma told him. You know, like for example, I think the. Uh, the whole thing with Jabba in that original Star Wars film, like he was supposed to be in it, you know, as the special edition show. But, you know, I think based on like like a hunch or some of the advice that he got, he uh, he ended up getting rid of that scene because he wanted to do like a uh, what's it? He wanted to do like a stop motion model of Jabba to replace the actor they had cast as Jabba the Hutt. But since he couldn't do that. He he just removed the scene entirely, but they he put it back in '97 for the special edition. But that was that all all that came from like all like the advice that like you know Spielberg and people like that were, were giving him. And you know what? They should have. I mean, even if it wasn't just for production issues about you know not having the budget or the time to do Job of the Hut, it, it it's a completely unnecessary scene. It just repeats the information that he just had with Greedo. So you don't right. need that scene at all. It completely right. Every time I see, I, every time I watch, like I, my most recent a screening of a of a New Hope, I'm watching that scene. Is like he literally just said all this to Greedo. Like we don't really need this. 
You know, it's just a waste of time. Yeah, it's a complete waste of time. Um, except, except for seeing Boba Fett there in the background, like I, everybody pops for that. But other than that, it's really, it really is unnecessary. Yeah, it's completely unnecessary. Um, so the only thing, uh, so so the thing is that one of the unsung heroes of this film is uh, Marsha Lucas, who was his wife at the time, his ex, his ex wife now, uh, who was the editor on the film. Right, and she actually, after that rough cut, she actually was responsible for like making, um, making that film as tight as it was because it kind of shocks me that the film is only two hours because you know the prequels are so long they're like two and a half hours, almost three hours sometimes. But Star Wars is a tight one hundred twenty minutes, right? It's a perfect summer length movie, right? And she's really like one of the people like gets credited and um, by people behind the scenes but not so not necessarily the people who uh not publicly um as kind of the true kind of engineers of that film that really made that film as tight and as good as good as it was uh because she really paced it well and and you know if you watch the empire dreams documentary they basically say like they she basically took as took the footage and cut it at the exact second that the footage is no longer usable, right? They, they used as, like, much footage as they could possibly get. Uh, it, one of the famous examples is the, the whenever he's fighting the, uh, the, the sand people, um, yeah. he kinda, you see a shot of the, the sand person, like, lifting his staff or whatever that thing is called up and down a couple times. That's really the same shot, just rewound. Reverse, yeah. yeah. Reversed a couple times because uh, that's what they had to do to kind of salvage the film. Um, and I didn't know that for years until I saw the documentary. And then when I see it, like I see it all the time now. Once you when I see watch it, you it. can't. Once you see it, you, you can't unsee it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Once you know it's there, you're like, oh yeah, yeah that's exactly what it is. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this film took a lot of uh, a lot of hard work. Um, uh, it's funny because the film itself is is, you know, we were talking about the the serial aspect of it earlier, but. Um, it's pretty much basically a space fairy tale, right? It's very simple concept. You got a young farm boy. He gets the call to adventure. Uh, he meets a wise old magical wizard. Basically, uh, <laughs> they go on an and they go they 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 team up with a, a space pirate and his dog, and they go fight the evil empire to save the princess. And uh, they, you know, they take down basically. Uh, the Death Star, which is basically the dragon, right? And yeah. and, and they all live happily ever after. So, I mean, the, the whole reason, I, I think, and it even starts with a long time ago at the beginning. So it invokes right. fairy tales and invokes, you know, a little bit of westerns too with the with the, the cantina sequence. Um, and then in the, uh, the attack on the Death Star certainly invokes, you know, World War II fighting stuff. All right, and if you really want to be a, a, a film nerd about this, he, you know... Lucas said that he he got inspired by watching old World War II footage of, of planes attacking each other. It's a little bit more yeah. than that. He actually kind of lifted a lot of these scenes from uh, from a movie called The Dam Busters. Have you ever seen The Dam Busters? I haven't actually. It's it's a whole movie about uh, it's a World War II film about these English pilots that are basically trying to blow up a dam. Uh, I think f- from that the Germans have to for some sort of strategical purpose, right? And at the very end, there's this big, exciting dogfight uh, with all these planes shooting at each other, and they blow up the dam. And if you watch the position of the planes in that film, this film feels like 1950, uh, and then you compare it to the to the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters, 
It's the same freaking thing. He basically stole. <laughs> he, he did, it's not. He, he kind of he, he kind of positions that it's, it's old World War II footage. It's like, no, dude. Yeah. That's you stole that from a movie. <laughs> that's from the Dan Buster. <laughs> if you watch it, I, I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. If you could, like, I bet you there's a YouTube side by side of it. I'm not sure if there is or not, but I, I could. I have to imagine there is. There's so many shots lifted directly from that film. And another thing too that I think we failed to mention a couple things as far as the post production. Number one was that this I looked up this rough cut that he um, that Lucas screened for like the Palma and Spielberg in them. No wonder it sucks. Other than like the, none of the like the special effects were there. He used David Prowse's voice for Darth Vader. Oh yeah, so of course it's gonna thing. suck. And then the other thing was that during the the dog fights between the Millennium uh, Falcon and the Tie Fighters, he just used World War Two footage of like actual dog fights. Because that, that footage wasn't done yet, so instead of showing that, they ju- the film just cut to actual dogfights from World War II, which is like, no wonder this sucks. Everything is missing from it. Even the James and Old Journal voice. They use David Prowse's Aussie accent that's muffled through a, through a helmet, bro. Of course, no one's going to like that. No, I think he was Irish, actually. He's, he's like, Irish? Oh, I thought it was Aussie. Never mind. Yeah, he's Irish. Yeah, okay, it, but it, it, the, I not, still like the Irish brogue under a muffled helmet, you know? Like, and, of course it could suck. And it's not the most intimidating voice in the world either. Right. And, and apparently Prowse was very annoyed when he went to the premiere and he saw it that uh, that he was, he was replaced. No one told him his voice was getting replaced, so he, he acted his <laughs> oh, heart that, out. That's low. That's very low. <laughs> he, he acted his heart out, you know, and... Uh, yeah, no the one told him his thing. voice was replaced. Huh. That's well, at least he got, a, he, got his, uh, he got a payday in Clockwork Orange, so just to stand there, so... That's true. He wasn't. That, that is true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the, you know that's a big important thing of, of the film as well is that replacing his voice with James Earl Jones. That's one of the things that improved the film. James Earl Jones giving uh, an iconic voiceover performance. Right, and then I mean a lot of the special effects and sound effects of that we all know from this universe were created in in the editing phase of of, of the original Star Wars, like the lightsaber sound. Uh, Chewbacca's voice, R2's uh, beeps, pretty much everything that we associate now with Star Wars was created in the post-production, right, right here in this stage of the of the of the process. By Ben Burt, Burt, uh, Ben Burt, bro, ben, yeah, Ben Burt, the uh, who won a, uh, an an honorary Oscar, I think, for sound effects editing. Uh, before that was a, a regular award that they gave out. Uh, he, he he created a lot of that stuff. I mean, there's the, the, here's the thing about this film. Not only is it a miracle that it was ever released uh, because of the, all the production problems it had, but all the post-production problems. Is, it, it, like, you know, they had to create new sounds completely out of nothing for, for these otherworldly sounds that hadn't existed before. Uh, on top of that, uh, these special effects were something that really hadn't been done before either. Now, they did use some te- existing technology, like blue yes. screen and models and things like that, but... They really had to, you know, they basically created industrial light and magic just to make this movie, just yep. as a, uh, just as, uh, and you know, industrial light and magic now is the biggest special effects uh, firm in the world, but they had to be created just so that they could make this movie. Exactly, but just look at all the stuff they created. They created like the sounds of the blasters, the sound of the Tie Fighters, the sound of the of the ship, the Millennium Falcon, for example, the lightsaber sound, Darth Vader's voice. Everything was created. You know, during this time, like, and then through ILM, they use like the models to create the 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 final Death Star battle, and it's just it's just amazing because you don't see that when you're watching the film for the you don't notice that it just looks like real spaceships, real space battles. So the fact that they were able to pull this off is just nothing short of amazing. 
Yeah, you should just you know if you ever have some time uh, to our this is to our audience out there, uh, either Google pictures of or YouTube um, search on YouTube just behind the scenes Star Wars stuff, and you'll just see some of the stuff. What they did to accomplish some of this stuff is nothing short of amazing. You know, uh, one of my favorite little facts is that uh, on the on the attack on the Death Star is basically they basically just drove like they they uh, they flew quote unquote flew a camera down a huge model of a bunch of uh uh model ships and model submarine parts glued together that's what the surface of the death star was was a yeah. bunch of, they t- they went to the store they bought a bunch of model ships and like you know model bat you know aircraft carriers and submarines and whatever and they glued them together to make it look like the surface of the death star and they just flew like a <laughs> they flew. Yeah, I'm looking camera. at a picture of that right now. It's just so trippy. You know how they did it. Yeah, and and what's that's the other thing is like they created this whole process of uh, the way they did the camera trick. I think they they basically created a computer program to you know move the camera in, in, in at an exact moment to go through the through the Death Star trenches to act as if they were you know uh, as if it was the point of view of of, a, of an X wing or something like that. Yeah. Just amazing stuff. Uh, it, it's the, the amount of work that went into that is just mind-boggling. You know, now you know, obviously, and you know, a lot of a lot of. It's funny because a lot of the fans uh, of Star Wars that uh, uh, that grew up with the prequels, you know, the the kid, you know, the kids that you know were born in the '90s, and you know, their first Star Wars experience with the prequels, you know, they're very protective of those films and they're very big fans of them and they 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 you know they don't get like how why original star wars trilogy fans hate them so much but they defend those films and and i get that if, if it's nostalgia for you i understand that but one of the things that they always kind of point to is that at the beginning of episode three they have this really cool uh space battle what's like one long and uninterrupted shot and this and that that's great and everything but that was all done CGI that was yeah I mean and it's impressive CGI don't get me wrong it's very neat to look at and I'm sure a lot of visual effects artists were very hard at work at that but it kind of pales in comparison to what they accomplished with you know technology that hadn't even existed yet on a movie from you know 30 years before that exactly it's just no comparison at all yeah and it's just no it's just it's really kind of um I mean, I get it. You like those movies, but there's no comparing those two films. There really isn't. Um, but uh, let's talk about the casting a little bit. Uh, they kind of went through uh, an extensive casting process for the three main roles of uh, uh, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and uh, Han Solo. Um, and they, uh, one of the stories I, I remember seeing is that both uh, Lucas and De Palma uh, held joint casting sessions uh, because De Palma was also casting for Carrie, and um, yes, I, I remember that story. So a lot of the people that were considered for for one were also considered for the other. I think um, William Cat wasn't William Cat. Uh, he was. He ended up being in Carrie. I think. Yes, and, he was. Uh, he was. He was considered for Luke Skywalker at one. Luke point. Skywalker. Yep, that's absolutely uh, right. I think I think maybe he he regrets which one he was cast for because <laughs> he didn't really have much. I think he was in that show Earth's uh, Greatest American Hero in the eighties, and then like he kind of disappeared after that. Um, whereas I mean, not that not that Mark Hamill had a great career in the eighties and nineties. You know, he kind of turned to voice work, and he's only had a recent like 
resurfacing since then. He hasn't. He didn't go on to become a major star, uh, but still, I think out of the both of those, I'd rather have Mark Hamill's career. I agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, they went through this whole casting process. There were so many people that were considered for all these roles. Um, I know uh, for Han Solo, uh, Kurt Russell was considered. Burt mm-hmm. Reynolds was considered. Al Pacino, Sylvester Stallone. Can you imagine any of these? Kurt Russell makes sense. Kurt Russell could have done it. I can see Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell absolutely could have done it. He absolutely has the charm and charisma to pull off Han Solo. But Al Pacino, <laughs> Burt Reynolds. I can see I can see Burt Reynolds a little bit, but mm. more Kurt Russell. Sylvester Stallone is wacky though. That's a wacky choice. That's a absolutely. wacky choice. I'm glad Steve they Martin's another wacky choice. Steve Martin was considered. Yes, I didn't know that. Yes, Steve Martin, uh, Billy D. Williams, uh, before he became Lando, was also considered. So there was a, there was a few of them. Uh, I know Jodie Foster was considered for for uh, for Princess Leia. Leia. Uh, Karen Allen was also. Uh, yes, that's, those are the two big ones. Yeah, those are the two big ones I could think of. Um, but I, I think they got like a really good chemistry with Hamill, uh, Carrie, the late great Carrie Fisher, and yeah. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, who who much like uh, Alec Guinness, would go on to resent that role for a very long time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but they, those three had a very good chemistry, even though Mark Hamill. I mean, this is a very, very, very early acting job for him, and he became a better actor as as he grew older. But in this film, you, there there are very, very, very there are a lot of scenes where you're just like, oof, that's that's a little wooden there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where you're just like, yeah, you're an inexperienced actor. Yeah, you could tell. I, I want to go to Toshi Station to pick up power converters. converters. And then you find out from Robot Chicken that uh, the Toshi Station is actually a strip club and the power converters are dancers, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that even was the... the joke. But yeah, that's every time I see that scene, I, that's what I think of the Robot Chicken joke about Toshi Station. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do like that. Uh, um, but you know what? Even though he's an experienced actor, it kind of. It kind of colors the, the the part a little bit because he's supposed to be kind of an inexperienced farm boy, and it almost kind of helps that he's not a great actor. And, and I don't know if that makes That's any true. sense. That's true. Yeah, but because That's... he's inexperienced as an actor, it helps that he's it, it helps for the role. He comes off. He, he, he it helps his fish out of water kind of person uh, personality when it comes to this story. Right. Uh, Carrie Fisher also kills it in this film as as Princess Leia, even though she can't decide whether she's English or not uh, throughout the film. <laughs> yeah, she's a uh, like Darth Vader. Only you can be so bold, you know. And then later on, she's talk. She's telling Luke, "Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper?" <laughs> in her in her American accent, which was hilarious. Yeah, uh, I, I think this is the first example I can remember of seeing a um, of seeing a kind of mouthy female protagonist that wasn't just there to get saved. I think this was like the first time I can remember seeing that. Right. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I mean, with me, like it's a little hard for me to remember as far as, you know, seeing like, like real, like take no, take no craft female protagonist as a kid. But I'm, I'm sure Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia was, was, you can, I'm, you might want to call her pioneer in that regard. I'm not, I don't want to say that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure she was one of the first. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to say it absolutely for a fact. But, right, yeah. Uh, it, 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 in my, you know, uh, education in film as I was growing up, I think that's the first, uh, example I can think of, uh, of it happening. Um, yeah. The only other thing I could, the only other kind of 
parallel, I think, is Marion Ravenwood from uh, Raiders. It, yeah. So, although she does get saved a lot. She is a damsel in the stress a lot <laughs> in that film. But she's a little more mouthy, and she throws punches and drinks beer and takes shots and things like that. So she's a little more uh, rough around the edges. But she does kind of get herself in peril a lot. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Harrison Ford. I think, you know, here's a question for you. And I think I might know the answer. But when you were growing up, when you were a kid and you watched these movies, were you Luke Skywalker or were you Han Solo? Uh, I, well, after seeing uh, after seeing A New Hope for the first time growing up, I was actually Luke. Now, I, I know now that a lot of people like to be Han, but I was actually – I had no problem being Luke growing up. I actually fight over it. Like, I want to be Luke. I want to be Luke. But I'm sure – with the I'm like in the minority. The majority of boys I'm sure wanted to be that cool, cocky Han Solo. Yeah, I wanted to be Han Solo, man. <laughs> and it's always it's a thing. You either when you're growing up, you're either Han Solo or you're Luke. It, it, yeah. it, it's interesting. I don't know what it says about people, but it certainly I just think that you know Luke is the main character. He's the hero, but Han is the cooler guy. He's the cooler character, you know. Uh, yeah. And he has a you know he's the more interesting character almost until we get to the later the later films, you know, because in, yeah. in in just Star Wars, uh, just the original one. He has the more interesting story because in Star Wars, it's just here's a farm boy. He goes on an adventure, right? Whereas Han Solo, he's like a, a kind of, he's a criminal, he's an outlaw, and in the in the end, he has a change of heart and becomes a hero. That's the more interesting story, right? Absolutely, and, and just his introduction in the cantina, bro, was just is one of the best. I think, I, and I know that whole thing verbatim is like I'm Han Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Is it a fast ship? Fast ship. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel Run less than 12 parsecs. <laughs> I, I, I know that whole scene, like the back of my hand. It's just, what a, like, what a cocky what a cocky guy, bro. And it just, it already comes off in just those first couple sentences. Like, okay, this guy's a little full of himself. Like, You've never heard of my ship? It's a fast ship, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I, I always, I mean... He's just the coolest man. How can you not love? Yeah. Han, how you can not love Han Solo? And then he obviously went on to do uh, a similar type character from a different perspective in in Raiders uh, as Indiana Jones. You know, Harrison Ford. As for many kids, I mean, he's the he's the coolest guy ever because he played yeah. the two coolest guys ever, right? Um, so I was always a Han Solo guy. I love Luke, especially in Jedi. I really love Luke in Jedi. Um, but. Uh, I'm always, you know, I'm always going to be a Han Solo guy. The one thing I kind of am annoyed at the Force Awakens is, is that um, we never got a reunion between all three characters because that, yeah, that was uh, so that was annoying. No, yeah, that's, and it's not going to happen now. It's, it's not going to happen now. That's the only thing that I would have really wanted. That and I think that film did incorrectly is that we didn't get a reunion of the three characters. I really wanted to see that. Me too. Um, but yeah, the uh, that. You know, those three characters had a really good chemistry with each other. Uh, then let's not forget the side characters. You got Chewbacca, um, who I – to this day, I think I, – I, I wish I had a Chewbacca in my life. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Chewbacca. Chewbacca's great, man. It's uh, – he was – he's one, the one – and I remember this as a kid, too. He would be the one that I'd always see in the – in, like, the, uh, the advertising as far as, like, the toys – and like you know how like when you go to toy stores they'll have like the the cardboard cutouts of, of like oh the Star Wars toys are over here it would either be him three PO or R two in the cardboard cutouts pointing everybody to the Star Wars toys like yeah you never see Luke you never see Darth Vader at least on the toy stores I went to it always be either Chewbacca or the droid you'd see 
So yeah, he's, he became like one of like the, the big side characters. See, I always feel like I agree with you, but I always feel, I feel like it did see Darth Vader a lot in a lot of the advertising. I feel it was like Drepio, R two, Chewbacca, and Darth because they were the they were the four like most striking, you know, the most striking like uh, visually striking yeah. uh, characters. Yeah, even at bro, even at pizza the day I went, all they had was like three PO and R two all over the place. Like, they didn't have anybody else. So, which was weird, like looking back on it. Like even um, there's a something I, I forgot what it is. It's something coming out with the uh, with regards to Star. I don't know if it's posters or if it's something like maybe slipcovers. But I saw something recently where like you know they're designating like slipcovers or like images to to all six films or all seven films now. And the one they do for for this one for Universal Star Wars is just three PO and R two. Like you'd think they put Darth Vader or Luke on it like together, but I think that's more of like an Empire like uh, image but for for this one they always put 3po and r2 to like kind of sell it interesting hmm. um speaking of 3po and r2 uh i you can't talk about star wars without talking about 3po and r2 um anthony uh anthony daniels who's played who's played 3po in every single star wars thing ever from ever, ever, every movie, every TV show, that the dude does nothing but C-3PO, and he's made a good career out of it, you know? Uh, so, hey, it's good work if you can get it, right? Absolutely. Um, that, that's going to be a hard one whenever he, he eventually... Uh, when he passes, When yeah. he passes, because that's, that's going to be a hard one to deal with. But uh, uh, I always enjoyed that, um, he, that the, the inspiration for R2 and C-3PO... Uh, was taken Hidden from Fortress. the Hidden Fortress. Have you ever seen Hidden yeah. Fortress? I actually, I have the Criterion sitting on my uh on my uh on my dresser. I just haven't been able to watch it yet. It's a great samurai action movie, and when you watch it, you totally see where where C three PO and R two D two came from. There's these two bumbling. Uh, they're a little, they're a bit more lascivious than R two and C three PO. Uh, but there's these, these two bumbling like samurai. I don't know if they're actually samurai, but there's these two bumbling samurai guys that are just total, you know screw-ups and they're constantly bickering with each other and uh, you can totally see where he got that from and a lot of you can when you watch hidden fortress you can see a lot of you can see a lot of star wars coming from hidden fortress too yeah uh, which is it's a great movie everyone should watch hidden fortress so uh is I that mean, an essential film though it is an essential film uh, okay. i'm not sure if it's in the i don't sure if it's in the uh the tumblr yet but the 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 random movie generator yet generator but, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we don't want to get sued yeah we'll have to We'll have to keep an eye on that one, um, yeah. but yeah. So I mean, I, I think what what makes this movie so memorable, even though it's kind of cheesy on its surface, is that all the all these elements from the casting, the special effects, the sound effects, the production design, the costume design, all that stuff. Even though they were kind of cheesy, the concept is cheesy. When you bring it all together, uh, it makes the movie work, uh, and. I think that if you were even missing one of those elements, I think all the movie could fall apart. Oh, absolutely. And, and he, what came up, well, it would come up as annoying to a lot of people, like the bickering between R2 and Drebo. There's a charm to it. Like, I like the, I like the scene when they're together and they're arguing. It's just a very charming scene. And, and you get to know the characters. You get to see, like, their personalities come out in those scenes. And you get to see, like, but eventually, like, yeah, they'll fight. But eventually, like, they're still like they're still like pals. They're still best friends, you know. But like, there's some some good one-liners. Like for example, the uh, after after Luke uh, sees the message and then he goes back because I think uh and and Beru's calling him. You know, 
he goes to Art like, just you reconsider playing that message for him. Like, no, I'm thinking he likes you at all. And then Art just asks, I guess, what about you? He's like, no, I don't like you either. <laughs> he just turns his back to him, bro. That's one of my favorite scenes in this movie. It just comes out like so perfect, like so charming. <laughs> you feel bad for Art too because he's being a dick. But, you know, it just, it just speaks to like the chemistry they both had. Yeah, uh, Kenny Baker was inside the R2. He just passed just last year, I think. Yeah, last year, the year before, I don't remember, but yeah, yeah it was recent. Um, was he? Did he end up making it to Force Awakens or not? I think he did. He made it to Force Awakens, but then after that, it was when he passed. Okay, I know because I know Peter. So it, Mayhew... so it wasn't him. It wasn't him in uh, Rogue One, though. Yeah, no, I know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I know Peter Mayhew made it to uh, Force Awakens, but. He was basically any time he was just standing around or sitting. That was Peter Mayhew. But if it was any action oriented thing, it was some other like seven foot tall stunt guy they got. Yeah, seven foot tall, five hundred pound guy. Yeah, because <laughs> Peter Mayhew he's got a lot of like knee problems, so he can't really move like that anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, so when you were growing up, did you have a favorite Star Wars? It doesn't have to be just to Star Wars. It could be Empire, Jedi, whatever. Do you have a favorite? character that wasn't out of the out of not luke or han but like any character uh i mean other than like luke han like the main characters like darth vader weirdly i probably have to say boba fett i really like boba fett yes i was a big big boba fett guy and i was also a a kind of a big java guy because i with the special edition i first saw java in a new hope because that scene was reinstated back in for this release and then I think I told the story also on Force Perspective. I didn't actually see Empire right after this. In fact, I didn't see any of the uh, special editions after this in theaters. That's why my mom had to put her foot down and say, okay, enough's enough. I can't take you to these anymore. So I ended up borrowing the VHS of Return of the Jedi first from actually a friend of mine from school who lived across the street. I borrowed his copy of Jedi because that was the only one that he had. <laughs> so I saw that one after this one. I didn't see Empire until after I saw Return of the Jedi. And when I saw jedi and i saw jabba there at the beginning like oh shit this is pretty cool you know like so i wonder what happened in between them but i saw like the scene like with jabba and with boba fett it was just so awesome i love that whole opening sequence of jedi like that whole in jabba's palace on tattooing like that whole sequence is like great to me now even today to me it starts to slow down a little bit when they're on endor you know when they lose leia and they gotta find leia then they get trapped and then the the ewoks that whole part is a little it can get a little dull to the untrained viewer but then once you get to the death star to battle it gets interesting again but the yeah. whole middle part it gets a little I, I agree i agree the second act of jedi is 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 not great it's very <laughs> it's very dull that second act of jedi the only thing of note is the um the is the uh, uh what do they call it the, the 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 bikes what do they call them that's the speeder bikes speeder whatever bikes, the speeder bikes that sequence is cool but uh, everything else is just like oof keep it going move it on that's what i'm saying but like that but that first act on tattooing is just so awesome and that ever after seeing that for the first time i was just like a huge java guy and a huge boba fett guy so they became kind of like my secondary like favorite characters after that my favorite i mean i love boba fett just because i mean he just looked cool but like if you just take him within the context of the entire trilogy he doesn't do anything he, I mean, well, that's not true. He does take uh, Han back to Jabba in Empire, and, you know, he escapes with him, and then at the beginning is a part of the battle, but he kind of gets dispatched pretty easily. He's not a great villain. He, he, he's a jobber, bro, just yeah. like Finn was in Force Awakens. Yeah, and, <laughs> he got dispatched quick. <laughs> he, he's not, I mean, he's a great-looking character, but he's not a great character. 
Yeah, I mean, I can understand, you know, his job or status, but like just, just his look, you know, just his demeanor, everything, everything else about him, other than him being a jobber, is like really cool. And I was just kind of just seeing that as a kid for the first time. It was, it was, it was cool. Like I wanted to be that guy. I mean, with I mean, the, he's with absolutely the fancy cool. armor and all that. Yeah, and it'll be interesting what they do with him in his solo movie that they're going to be doing with him too. Oh, that's an anthology film. It's right? an anthology film. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, but my favorite was always R two. R two was my favorite growing up because he's such a. I mean, that he's is a wise ass. I mean, yeah, but he's also like he's a perfect character for kids, right? Like, I mean, I love Chewbacca too, but uh, I I love the I love R two. Uh, and now, like, you know, I've been training my daughter in some pop culture geeky stuff very slowly. I buy her, like, little t-shirts with, like, uh, geeky stuff on them, you know. Uh, make them, like, make sure they're pink so that they're girly enough. But um, but uh, she, she's starting to – she can recognize a couple things on site now. She knows what Superman is. She knows what Batman is. She knows what Batgirl is. She knows Supergirl is. She knows what Spider-Man is. And she knows who R2-D2 is. And she knows who Chewbacca is. So, oh, and Yoda. She knows who Yoda is too. So I think I'm doing my job. Right. I think I'm doing my job. But uh, the other day, I was like, uh, uh, I have, you know, on top of my entertainment center, right? On top of my uh, big DVD bookcase, basically, I have like uh, some member, like different uh, items on top of it for display. Like all my big box sets that don't fit on the shelf are up there. You know, like I have my little pop figures, like I have my Doc Brown pop figure and my Rocket and Group pop figures. Um, but um, I also have like this R2-D2 toy that's maybe like five or six inches tall. And I got him. I think he was part of that original like uh, when they re-released Star Wars, like the Star Wars toys in the 90s. Like um, the Kenner line? The Kenner line. But it, it wasn't the small one. It was like a big – it was a big deluxe figure. It's like five or six inches tall. Uh, and I held on to that because it's a really accurate, really cool R2. And I really just use him for display, right? And I put him near my movie stuff. And the other day, she just happened to look up. She was like, that's R2-D2 from Star Wars. So I was like, that's my girl. Very good. That's my girl. That's awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so R2 was always my favorite kind of side character. He was my favorite. That's cool. That's awesome. And I'm glad that you're, you're already – you're teaching her early on this stuff. Yeah, I think she's still too early to actually watch the films. I don't think she has the attention span for that. And some of it might be too scary. But uh, I, I, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to make sure she watches it. I want to make sure she gets it so that she watches at an early enough age that the Darth Vader reveal is a shock. Mm, I hear you on that. Cause that and then, so, you're not doing, so you're not doing it one through six. You're doing oh. it through – Four, five, and six. No, and here's what I'm going to do with her. When, when, when I educate her in this, I'm going to be like, this is the only, we're going to, you know, here's episode, here's the first one, Star Wars, here's Empire, here's Return of the Jedi. And then here's this other movie called Rogue One that takes place before Star Wars. And then here's this other movie, Force Awakens, that takes place after Return of the Jedi. Now, there's these other three movies. If you want to watch them, they're there, but you don't need to watch them. <laughs> well, can you, I, I'm hearing like, I don't know if they're actually going to do this, but I've heard people say that 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 they might retcon those uh, those original prequels and do new ones. Like I don't know what you think about that, but I don't know if you even think that's a possibility. But I've heard rumblings about that, and they might might do that, but it's like a long shot. Uh, you know, what honestly, you I honestly I say leave leave well enough alone. Just leave them alone. They're there. They exist. Just whatever. They're fine. Just, they're like, whatever. At they're this whatever. Point. <laughs> like I don't watch them ever, but they exist. Let's just keep them that way. Just leave them there. We don't have to do anything with them. Um, Didn't you only watch Attack of the Clones because we were doing a show about it? That's why you saw it. So the only reason I watched Attack of the Clones was because we did a show about it because I think that's the worst Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would I would put it um, 
of the prequels, uh, three is just the best by default. Um, yeah. Then I would put Phantom Menace, and then I would because put at least Phantom Menace there. had like practical effects, though. It had, yeah, it had practical shooting. effects. It had a really cool lightsaber fight at the end, uh, and it had good. You know, Liam Neeson was in it, and and uh, Ewan McGregor was really good. But the rest of it was garbage. Um, ah. But whereas Attack of the Clones is just like there's nothing redeemable about that movie. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I can still quote some of Phantom Menace because when it first came out, I watched it enough times to remember a lot of the lines. But yeah, it, it's 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 very it's dull. That's the problem with Phantom. It's just so dull until you get to the end. Yeah, I I hate that movie. Um, but yeah, so, uh, where are we going? So that, that's the part of the trilogy, uh, uh, sorry, that's part of the whole saga as a whole, but, uh, she is going to be making, I'm, I absolutely want to make sure she watches four, five, six, maybe then seven yeah. and then go back to Rogue One. And that's then good. she can, then if she wants, I'm just going to let her know they're available and she can watch them if she wants, but it's not integral to the, to the story. Um, because I think a lot, they just do a lot to mess it up. Uh, mm. One thing we haven't talked about yet, uh, the music, the John Williams score. Johnny Williams, bro, the alpha, with the amazing, amazing Star Wars score. And he scored, I think, all seven, right? And Ro- he didn't do Rogue One, but he, he did, did the, Rogue uh, one. the seven episodes. He yeah. did all seven, but he did not do Rogue One. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's just kind of amazing. Every time you hear it, every single time you hear that opening stuff, it's probably... I would say, out of every movie in history, it is probably the most recognizable theme out of everything. I don't think there's anything that beats that theme as far as recognizability. Recognition, whatever you want to say. I don't know what the word is, but you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that beats it. Like, you just know. And it's an original composition, too. It's like what we're talking about with Force Perspective with Pulp Fiction. Like, you know, Draven was saying how uh, Miserloo, like, even though it came out, like, in the 50s, when people hear it, it's the Pulp Fiction song. When you hear, when you, as soon as you're just the opening bars of this, you just know that's Star Wars, and that's the opening Star Wars theme. That just the grand epicness of it. It's just, it's, it's just ingrained into our pop culture now. That's just how, how, just how amazing, just that. Not only that track is, but just the, uh, just the whole culture surrounding it is. Exactly. I mean, he, and it's funny because, uh, and there's so many. And I'm just watching it again. You know, it's just there's so many times where that music. And this is, I think, that's probably the final thing that glues the whole movie together and why it makes such a classic is that the music is used so perfectly in that movie. I think one of the most beautiful shots um, in the film and in really, and one of my favorite scenes ever is when Luke is looking at the two suns, set, the two setting suns, and you hear the John Williams score in the background. That's the most perfect combination of imagery and sound in music, I think, in, 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 in uh, movies, I think. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it is the most recognizable film score I think ever. And if you think of anyone, like if there's another film score that even comes close, it's because he he composed it too. Like Jaws is pretty recognizable, that's him. Superman's mm-hmm. pretty recognizable, that's him. Raiders is pretty recognizable, that's him. Uh, Harry Potter is pretty recognizable, that's him too. Uh, Jurassic Park, that's him too. So I mean, even if you can think of another recognizable theme that everyone knows he's the one who did it so yeah <laughs> uh yeah he that he is that is the probably the greatest uh musical score ever so um i don't know is there anything else you wanted to go into about star wars i mean like we we did talk about like uh uh we did talk a little bit about the kind of the, the, the merchandising but the, a lot of people don't know so jaws is credited with starting the blockbuster era 
But Star Wars is really the, the, the movie that made blockbusters a business, you know, where it, it really has shaped how movies are released now. Yes, it's one of those. And it came out in May, too. I think it was May 1977 that uh, the first Star Wars came out. And ever since then, like, May, it, start, it, would, it would become, but, like, it was one of the predecessors. Like, May would become, like, the month that, you know, all, like, the big blockbusters would come out. That would be the start of the summer season, as we like to call it for perspective, the summer movie season. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people claim Jaws is, but as far as just, like, your typical just summer fair, like, you know, the blockbusters, the fan, the fantasy films, the superhero films, that all started, I think, with Star Wars. And you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, I mean, it not only launched a huge saga, right? But it launched a merchandising uh, empire, for lack of a better term, uh, that included toys and video games and T-shirts and costumes and pretty much anything that you can put a logo on, Star Wars has something of that. Like, there's nothing, there's probably no piece of merchandise that you can think of that Star Wars doesn't already have their logo on it somewhere. Water bottles, blankets, towels, uh, bed sheets, posters, action figures, sunglasses, picture frames, you know, every, just everything you can possibly think of has something of Star Wars in it. You know, that's with the logo or with the character, or with Darth Vader, you know, but everything exists with Star Wars on it. Just everything. Plates, cups, you know, everything. Um, What else do I think? You know, I still have... Uh... So, I don't know, it must have been my, my older brother or something, but I found, before I moved out to Chicago, I was, uh, you know, I kind of stopped in my, my the house I grew up in, and uh, I found some vintage glasses from the 70s and 80s, actually from the 80s, from the 80s, of uh, Burger King, um, Burger King glasses from Empire and Return of the Jedi that I brought here oh, in Chicago, um, and they are vintage glass, and it's funny because they're like real. Gla- it's kind of like those Batman Forever glasses, but those are shorter. Uh, they were like more like mugs. These are like real tall drinking glasses, uh, and uh, they're in perfect condition. And, and I, I still use them. Wow! But I, have, I think that- I was gonna say you. They're fetching like two hundred bucks on eBay right now if you have the whole set. Oh, I don't so. have the whole set. I have a couple. I have one with. Um, one which is a scene of um, of the the sand uh, the sand skiff at return at the beginning of Return of Jedi. One yeah. is uh, Luke on Hoth on Empire. One is uh, the lightsaber duel with um, the lightsaber duel with uh, Darth Vader Luke, in and Luke from Jedi, right? From Jedi. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I'm looking. And then all the one is Lando. Uh, I don't think there's much to that one other than Lando, uh, but those are the those are the only four I have. So I don't have the whole set, but there's okay, still there's yeah there's one with from a New Hope with Leia and Luke. Then there's one with Han and Chewie and Obi Wan. Then there's one with from Return of the Jedi with C three PO and the Ewoks. Then you have one from a New Hope which is oh C-3PO I have the C three PO I have the C three PO and Ewoks one too. Okay, that's from Jedi, right? Okay, yes. and then the uh, other one from Jedi is the uh, Luke uh, lightsaber fight with Vader and the Emperors in the middle. So. Yeah, but those are really awesome. they're real they're act they're like real legit glasses and they're they're very cool. 
uh, the, the, we do have those. Uh, I don't have the rest of the set, but um, I still drink out of them to this day. Um, I probably shouldn't. I probably should preserve them, but I've never been one of those guys that like wants to keep things like under lock and key. Like I want to use them, you know. So want to use the stuff, right? Yeah, like so. Uh, I, I I just think it's fun. Um, but yeah, anything that you could put. I mean, I remember when Force Awakens came out last year. I remember seeing like Revlon makeup or something for. Yes, I did see that too. It was like everything, like out of like they could they anything you could put a a Star Wars sticker on it. They that they were they was on it, and it really did kind of start that. Now I know that there were some movies before Star Wars that did some merchandising to like a limited. I remember there was not. I remember like I saw it personally, but I I know for example that there were. uh, Planet of the Apes action figures. Whenever that movie originally came out, but yes, um, my uncle had them. Yeah, he had a few, of the, a few of those. So yeah, but, but not to the level that Star Wars was. And to the and and what's funny is uh, uh, one of the things that Star Wars did was they created their their line of action figures. Um, they had no idea, and we told the, the story. The, on the demand, yeah, this yeah. is from the, the the Empire Dreams documentary. Yeah, they, had, like, they no had no idea of the demand for these figures. So they, so for Christmas that year, they sold basically empty boxes. They sold empty boxes. It was just like the promise of here. Here's a certificate, and then you're gonna get these toys in the mail later because we still haven't actually made them yet because we didn't expect it to be such someone high demand. And then by the time Empire came out, boy, they were they were ready on that, and it started this whole thing <laughs> of like any single character that had even one second of frame of a frame on film in those movies got a toy. Every single one, and they got their own backstory, everything. Uh, it's so funny you mention that because I, I subscribe to the Star Wars of Smuggler's Bounty bi-monthly box, like the loot crates, and the, the this month's theme was droids, so I actually got two pop figures inside of it. I got the uh, unfinished C-3PO from uh, The Phantom Menace, and to tie it into this episode, I got R5-D4, nicknamed Red from A New Hope, which is the red droid that Luke buys on the farm until it breaks. You know, like, this R2 is a bad motivator, look. So I have that droid now. So yes, he has its own pop figure. That little droid that was on screen for like a minute has his own figure now. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I know. And, and if you know, you know, you had to explain to the audience who R five D four was, but I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and do you know? And you know, uh, it, it, hardcore geeks would know people who like uh, who Hammerhead is, or who uh, Doctor Evazan and uh, Ponda yes, Baba and are. Ponda Baba, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you want to look those up on yourself, or IG88, or uh, Boss, uh, the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, uh, yeah. These are those are this is these are really uh, nerdy things that we're talking about here. But um, yeah. the other thing that uh, Star Wars kind of did, the other thing of part of its legacy is the kind of not you know the not just releasing blockbusters in the summer and um, kind of creating like your whole marketing around that, but also kind of the idea of a franchise. Now again. There have been franchises before, like Planet of the Apes was a franchise, James Bond was a franchise. You know, there were franchises before this, but not to the extent like Star Wars, like where it was a business in and of itself, where it was bigger than the movie. You know, uh, Star Wars was bigger than just the movie. It was a whole empire. And since then, movie the movie studios have been trying to replicate that over and over and over again. The only thing, like, the only, I think... Um, kind of a brand that matched star wars uh was the eventual was the company that eventually bought them and that's disney where disney, disney became bigger than their own movies they, they they are their own 
thing. And obviously, Disney had, Disney World had Disney had Disneyland, Disney World before then. Um, but Star Wars kind of started the trend of making movies uh, a more kind of more than just the movie business. It was everything. Whatever we can put our movie on, like let's make that. Uh, it also kind of kind of. I, the first time I thought uh, I heard the word trilogy was because of Star Wars. Now everything wants to have a trilogy, you know. Um, so, yeah, that Star Wars started all this stuff. Yeah, and by the way, I just sent you a picture of the whole complete set of the Burger King glasses, and I'm oh, sure you'll see yours on there. It's on the Skype uh, chat. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, I have. Oh, actually, I might have more than I thought I had here, because I have. The entire top row... No, I don't have the Leia and Jabba one. I don't have that. On the second row, I have C-3PO and R2 and Hoth. I have Lando and I have Boba Fett and Darth Vader. And on the third row... I don't have any of the third row. You have any of the uh, the New Hope glasses? No, I have none of the New Hope glasses. And you're right about Lando. You just got to stand in there like doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the whole set. So of I have the I have three of the four Jedi's and three of the four Empires. Nice. Yeah, and um, you have all four of the Batman Forever ones. And I have all four Batman Forever ones. Yeah, <laughs> those are good glasses. I like those glasses. Um, but I mean, I, I think without Star Wars, you don't get you don't get the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You don't get Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, you don't get. Uh, I don't think you get a resurgence in you know I don't think you get Star Trek films because Star Trek had been a a series a TV series but um, it was shortly after this that Star Trek the motion picture came out and I don't think you would have gotten that yeah. without the success of Star Wars. Yeah. Wasn't there like a cartoon that came out after was it or is it after Empire that was I think just droids, droids or something? I think it yeah. was after Empire. Um, oh, and of course we 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 did not talk about the infamous Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> I don't think Lucas or anybody associated with it wants to, wants to talk about it either. So. Oh, it's so bad. Folks, <laughs> it's on YouTube somewhere. They It gets pulled down all the time, but you'll find it. It's bad. Don't waste your time. But if you really want to get a get a look at some horrible decision-making, Star Wars. <laughs> B. Arthur as a bartender at the cantina, bro. That's just, that, that's just part of it. It's just one little – one, uh, one notch on the old mistake belt of this special. But. <laughs> um, and, of course – uh, we can't talk. We can't talk about Star Wars without talking all the different spinoffs. Obviously, the, the original trilogy is sacred, but then they they did eventually. We gotta talk go about on. Spaceballs. They did. Well, I was gonna get to that, but they did eventually. You know, spawn uh, a prequel trilogy, which we talked about. They talk now. We're getting new a new trilogy, which started with Force Awakens, continuing with Last Jedi. Um, later this year, we got some spinoffs like Rogue One, like the Han Solo movie, like the Boba Fett movie, and of course, we've got plenty of parodies like Spaceballs. Uh, oh, a movie classic, that bro! I, I love think it. I think I will. I, I think as much as I've seen this, the first Star Wars, I've probably seen Spaceballs just as much. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> the Schwartz, bro. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny, like everything that they said about you know, like we're, this is just for the T-shirts or like, all those jokes that they made are actually true, by the way, when it comes to Star Wars. Like you know, that you're just pumping up, you know, new T-shirts, you know, and everything like all the time. And it's just, it, it's all about the money, and it's so true. And they, I love how they made light of that. Yeah, I, I love that whole thing. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the sequel like uh, uh, Spaceballs to the quest for more money or some something like that <laughs> they, they, keep, I, they I, keep saying it's gonna happen but I don't know if it will uh, my favorite yeah. my favorite scene in that movie is uh, and I'm gonna pull up the quote because I, I can't remember all of it um, 
is whenever they're trying to find uh they're trying to find the you know um uh the heroes and they're, they're looking at the vhs tape and they're like what the hell am i looking at what does what when does this happen in the movie now you're looking at now sir everything that happens now is happening now what happened then we passed then when just now we're now. at now now <laughs> go back to then when now 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 i can't why we missed it when just now when will then be now soon <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my, classic my, stuff, bro. my favorite segment in that movie uh also the uh, uh how many assholes we got on this ship yo yo <laughs> and our boy uh our boy dom de louise as pizza the hut bro like awesome just awesome stuff was it dom de louise as pizza the hut? i thought it was like or what it was it was Tom, the, the boy John candy yeah. was john candy was barf i didn't realize dom de louise was in that movie yeah, that was he did the voice of pizza. Oh, I did not know that. I actually, that was him, bro. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> you learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. Um, and I actually just referenced just referenced the uh, Spaceballs the other day when we were talking on our uh, Pulp Fiction episode for That's right, Perspective, yeah. and I was like, the combination is one, two, three. Four. That's the stupidest combination ever. Uh, like six, 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 right? Of course. Uh, anyway, you're right. I just looked it up. It was Dom DeLuise. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, I shouldn't have doubted you, my friend. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, so Star Wars, it's it's uh, impact on 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 cinematic history cannot be denied. Some people might say it was a negative impact. Uh, yeah, I think the I think that book Easy Rider's Raging Bulls kind of argues that a little bit, um, which is a great book. But it, it is a great book. But uh, it kind of it did kind of usher in a new era of of, of film making and film releasing. Um, but you know, I mean, we so talked about people, this too with, with Pulp Fiction too. Like it, the Star Wars was like a watershed moment in the business, you know. And I even said on on the Pulp Fiction show that like you know, uh, Biskin, the same guy who wrote that book, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls called Pulp Fiction the Star Wars of independent filmmaking. So you can already see like the the culture or like the uh, the change and the uh, – what's the other word I'm looking for? Just kind of like the whole aspect of change that Star Wars brought to Hollywood and just how movies are done in the first place when Pulp Fiction is being con- uh, compared as a Star Wars of something. You know, So that's, that's, that's one of the legacies that it leaves. Exactly. Um, now before we go – I do want to talk about the special editions. Um, Which, by the way, like I said, Full Disclosure was my first exposure to Star Wars was the special editions in 97. But you did eventually see the original releases, and you know that they're better, right? (laughs) Absolutely, they're better. As a a 30-year-old now, being able to to use my film knowledge to compare the two, yes. There's a lot of unnecessary crap in uh, in the special editions, which bring it down. You know, but I'll never forget seeing though that's the one I saw for the first time. That's what made me fall in love with Star Wars. So I can't hate on it too much. But as you know, as my film knowledge has grown over the years, I can see why people hate it, and I agree for the most part. So the special editions, you know, he came out in '97 for in time for the 20th anniversary. George Lucas wanted to. This is the first time we started noticing George Lucas messing with his own stuff. Uh, he went back and changed some things. He added some things. And at the time, I remember thinking it was super cool. But then as time went on, I, I came to resent them. Especially, I wouldn't resent them so much if he if they would if we still had the original releases uh, right. in some sort of form. But 
they don't I mean, look do for example, not to cut you off, but look for example, Blade Runner. Well, I bought the, the the Blade Runner release from a few years ago, and it has like five different versions on them, and one of them is the original theatrical cut. Exactly. So at least like Ridley Scott, like you know, okay, this is the original cut in case you like that one. But here's my final cut. Here's my other director's cut from '91. Here's my international theatrical cut. Like there's this all these this has like five different cuts in that one Blu-ray, you know. But George Lucas won't give us the original 1977 cut for and, whatever reason. I mean, Close Encounters did it. Close Encounters, there's like three different versions. There's like six of, versions uh, of it on there. Yeah. Uh, 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 Apocalypse Now, the Redux version. You know that has yeah, both versions, versions on it. Yeah. Like, it. So many movies do that, and you know, I wish we. So the only so. The only way you can see the original trilogy as it was... There's you know, two ways, there's actually. A, there's a couple. There's a couple of ways. One is... Actually, there's several ways. Most of them are legal. Uh, most are legal. You're right. But... One <laughs> is go... I mean, and most of the... And a lot of these are going to involve uh, going on eBay. One, the original VHS releases have yes. uh, have the original cuts of the film. Uh, you can track those down if you still have a VHS player. One, the best quality home release of the original unaltered theatrical films is actually the Laserdisc. The Laserdisc is the best quality yes. uh, of the original theatrical release films. But about 15 years ago, when Star Wars first came to DVD, because for a while it didn't... It, it, Star Wars has always kind of been uh, slow to adapt to the current home media. Like, it was slow for VHS, it was slow for DVD, and it was slow for Blu-ray. Uh, so after it was like four or five years after DVD was the main home media, uh, two thousand four, for that mistake. Yeah, I think it was two thousand four when they finally released them, and they released the special editions, uh, which pissed off people. But then, like a year later, they released uh, a bundle where each disc had the special edition and the original theatrical cut. Now. The problem with and that's Which the one people I think, are still pissed off about. <laughs> now I think that's the one that had the Empire of Dreams. I'm not sure if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's well, the one. Well, the, the, the 2004 trilogy box yes had the Empire of Dreams document. Okay, so that that also included a disc which had the original cut. The problem with that is, while it's great that it was there, the the transfer is terrible. It's horrible. It's a pan and scan, I think. Right, that was it's really bad. It's not a pan and scan, but it's not. Um, you have to. It's not uh, anamorphic. You have to cut. You have there to, you go. Yeah. You have to mess with your TV setting to get it to. You have to really mess with your TV's uh, image settings to get the the image to fit correctly on your screen. Uh, and even when you do, the quality is is bad. Um, when it came to Blu-ray, you don't. There's no, currently no Blu-ray release of the original release, uh, original theatrical cuts, which is very annoying. So those are your options: VHS. But but, but, it, but that's the issue, though. That's that that's what annoys it is. What annoys me the most about it is that this original cut from 1977 was what one was nominated for the Oscar, bro, and it won. Didn't it win any Oscar to like for special effects or something? It did. But, like, I was gonna get to that, but yes, it did. Yeah, but but that's that's the cut that won those awards that was critically acclaimed, and you don't want to release that. That like that's what I don't understand about his logic. There, like that's your that's the cut that was recognized by the Academy that got you those nominations for Best Picture. It got you that Oscar for Special Effects. Like, and you're not going to release that. Like, that's what I don't get. Yeah, I don't. It's because he never he wasn't satisfied with what he his, his his imagination wasn't catching up with modern technology, so he was just upset about it and. Uh... Yeah, it was stupid. Um, now, is, it, that was, is the original cut the one that's in the Library of Congress? Yes, I believe it okay. is. Okay. Um, so just doing a quick eBay search, you can get the VHS tapes. Um, 
So I'm looking the first the first listing here. The I would Star imagine Wars. they're pretty cheap, right? Yeah, the Star Wars trilogy THX VHS box set, which is what we talked about, the 1995 editions. You can get uh, on the first hit I have here. You get it for seven dollars, which is a great deal. Yeah, um, it's VHS, but whatever, it's it's there. The Laserdisc, if you have a Laserdisc like I do, um, they're actually a little more pricey. Uh, they're looking at twenty. 20 bucks a pop for, for each one. The, the uh, Definitive Collection Laserdisc trilogy that I have, which comes with a beautiful set, um, that's going for like 70 bucks on eBay. Uh, to me, that's worth the price because they were they, they actually the entire set is really, really nice. Uh, and the quality, the transfer is pretty good for, for, for uh, you know, quote unquote primitive technology. Uh, and let me look at the uh, DVDs. Uh, let me see if I can find them. There's actually a new copy of the uh, THX VHS trilogy from 1995. There's a sealed copy that's going for like uh, uh, ten dollars, which is awesome. If it's still sealed, that's an awesome deal for to the VHSs. So looking at eBay, I'm seeing the Star Wars trilogy, the 2008 six disc sets. Uh, that's what it was. It was a six disc set with both versions in each one, original theatrical versions. I'm seeing it on eBay for sixty five dollars. So those are how you can watch the original versions. Um, again, but the DVD transfers are terrible. Um, it's the only way you can really watch it on DVD uh, without. It's, but they're the only way you can watch it without having to buy, uh, you know, dust off your VHS player or buy a laserdisc player. Um, now, I'm going to put a little asterisk here, a little note, uh, so that we don't get in trouble. We, we do don't not, endorse any of the following not, ways to watch. We do this not movie. endorse this. <laughs> However. If you are so inclined, there is a way to watch Star Wars original theatrical cuts in high definition. And those are what's called the Star Wars despecialized editions. Now, what this is is uh, a how would we how do how would we describe this? Um Well, I, I did watch a little behind the scenes on how these were made and it's really amazing, like the process that went into the, into these cuts of the film. Like they literally have to like get every version of like the film they could find and kind of remove all the unnecessary stuff from it. And but it like it, it, it's hard to describe because I'm not really like that much into like technology and what the, the stuff that they use, but it's really, really an amazing process of what they did. But, but they basically went back and they removed everything that was added in the special editions of, of, of A New Hope and, and the original trilogy, basically. And uh, it, what the, and you have basically a recut version of the original cut of the movie. Right. So these were created by a guy uh, from the Czech Republic whose name I'm going to try not to butcher, but his name is Peter Har- Harmacek. <laughs> um, he goes by the name Harmy. Uh, much was much easier. Where he felt, like all of us, that it is bullcrap that uh, the original theatrical cuts are not available in, in high definition, and he took the like as you said, took the original releases, re- removed all of the special edition stuff, and um, gave us high and basically edited. Uh, I think he took the laser disc. Um, he took the laser disc transfers, and then. Yeah. Um, Basically, uh, he used them as a guide uh, and some of the source material from the Blu-ray releases to basically make um, make these despecialized editions. And it took him, like, tons of time. And he did it for free because you can't buy this legally. And it's not available anywhere legally. And it is only available on BitTorrent uh, 
BitTorrent services. So if you are so inclined, you are able to access them. It takes a long time to download because they're like 10 gigabyte files, right? Uh, not that I would know. Uh, but yeah. uh, but if you watch them, which I have, I'm not saying I downloaded them. I'm just saying I have watched them. Um, I've They are beautiful, 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 beautifully done transfers. And it almost makes me wonder... If they don't want to go through the trouble of of doing it themselves, just take this guy's release and put them on Blu-ray. Like, just do that. <laughs> because you may as well. There are, the work's already done. The work's yeah. already done. It, it, it does things like getting rid of that computer-generated Jabba the Hutt, and, and, which I hate it anyway. It gets rid of Greedo shooting first. It restores everything back to its original form, but in high definition, and they look beautiful. So I've yet to watch those, by the way, but I mean, I'm hoping to watch them, not download, not do anything like that one day. But I do want to watch them because I'm very, very curious, especially after watching the little featurette online. It's really interesting how it went into it. And I really want to check them out one day, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> but if you want to watch legal versions of them, uh, you can always go on eBay and find the older releases uh, in older media formats, or if you don't care about having special edition, you can watch the the uh, the original Star Wars movie is available uh, for digital rental and and purchase on the normal sites, uh, normal legal sites, um, and I'm sure you could buy the Blu-rays on Amazon as well. I would not recommend the Blu-rays. Um, I think that they are. Uh, I did buy them when they came out, but uh, because they only have the special editions on them, it really d- did bother me. Uh, but it's up to you if you want to get them. Uh, but that's Star Wars. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to add before we? Uh... Not really. I mean, uh, we we pretty much covered all the 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 big aspects uh, of the film, like the production, what it went into, with the lasting uh, uh, legacy in pop culture, and and just the the movie business that this film left. And uh, I mean, it's something that I it's just, it's a franchise that I've cherished since I was nine years old. And now I'm 30, and it's still going strong, especially with all the new stuff coming out. So it's there's no signs of it slowing down anytime soon. That's right. Uh, so that's Star Wars, uh, an essential film, I think, pretty much a no-brainer there. So that, that'll about do it for, for this episode. But before we go, we always want to see what our next film is going to be. So let's pull out the random movie generator. Okay, let's go. Let's do this. All right. Here we go. And our next film is uh, another classic movie from a lot of people's childhoods, especially mine and I'm sure yours, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. All right. That's awesome. That's a great one. I've been meaning to go back and revisit that, but now I have a reason to. So that's good. So E.T. is going to be our next film, so make sure you go watch that if you haven't already seen it before we have our discussion on the next episode. Uh, and uh, that'll about do it for today's show. But before we go, let's do it. Let's throw in some plugs. Uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com is the website. EssentialFilmsPodcast at gmail.com is the email. Please like the Essential Films on Facebook and follow at Essential Films on Twitter. And please like, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, on top of that, please listen to our other show, Force Perspective. Now, Force Perspective does have some uh, Star Wars episodes where we went into everything. Star Wars, Empire, Jedi, uh, the prequels. Um, we didn't go into Force Awakens because they hadn't come out by that point. But uh, I don't remember what episode numbers they were. Do you? I don't. But if you give me like two minutes, 
I can look them up. I don't know if we had that kind of time, but they're there. It's one of the earlier episodes. I believe they were 15, 16, and 17 were the original Star Wars episodes. Then we did a special one regarding Force Awakens, and then one of the uh, later ones, I think it was 86 or 87, was uh, Rogue One. So you can find all of our Star Wars talk uh, among the uh, first 99 episodes of Force Perspective. <laughs> now, if they, if you go on iTunes and look for Force Perspective, can if they look at the descriptions of the uh, episodes, will it say there? Yes, it will. Okay, so then you can just do that. Uh, so we have plenty of Star Wars conversations on that, so you should just listen to the back catalog anyway. Uh, and then we've got a couple of episodes coming up. I know we have the Spider-Man Homecoming episode coming up. Uh, we've got the Pulp Fiction episode coming up. And that's all on the road to 100. Yes, yes. we got our one our big 100 episode coming up, and we got a lot of surprises uh, set for that show. So that's probably coming in September because – uh, August is. I do take my one month break in August for for work, uh, for work reasons. But uh, I what episode one hundred is coming in September, and it'll be probably the biggest party of of the fall. <laughs> to try to kind of take a line from uh from SummerSlam. But uh, but yes, we are very excited about that. And uh, the Spider Man when this show gets up, the Spider Man show should be up, and then uh, the following week the Pulp Fiction will go, which will be episodes ninety eight and ninety nine respectively. So definitely check those out. Um. Big change is coming, uh, and it'll be a, a very exciting uh, new chapter for for uh, for Force Perspective. I'm very excited. Uh, but uh, anywhere else, we where else can we find you on the social medias? Well, you, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at SportsGuy515 is my handle, and you can also follow the Force Perspective podcast on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast is that handle, and I believe uh, the Facebook. The, the the link for the Facebook page is facebook.com slash force dash perspective is the uh for the Facebook page. You can like us on Facebook as well. All right, folks. Uh that'll about do it for us this week. Uh please please make sure to tune into our next episode, which uh by the way, just a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh we're probably gonna take about a month off, uh, because I know you have some real life uh work that you have to do at your day job that's gonna take up most of August, correct? Right, that is correct. I usually always take my August off because of work responsibility. But in September, once that whole thing dies off, I will be back uh, in full form to, uh, to take take back these shows. I'll say so. so. So look for the next ET episode in September, and probably Force Perspective One Hundred probably coming in September as well. Uh, and then, unless other than that, we are good to go. So thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening, listening to Star Wars, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with all of you. <laughs>